Going back in time, baby. Welcome to Laser Time, uh, the semi-regular hundredth leading pop culture show on the on the internet. Hi, welcome to our podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, and who else is with me for our very special show? I'm J.R. Rawls, and I really need to phone home, guys. Can I phone home somewhere? Oh, he's making a reference. He tasks me with these references. He tasks me. Uh, <laughs> who else is with us? Uh, I'm Diana Goodman, and I'm going to take this boat over that fucking hill. And I'm going <laughs> to kill an entire village to do it. Oh, my God. Also, uh, Werner Herzog sounds like this, not distinct in any way. <laughs> this is a very special episode of Laser Time, because in case you can't tell, I have my 302010 co-hosts on the show to talk about a very special subject. You don't know 302010 is our other show where we talk about the world and pop culture 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Not so much thematically, but on a time-based level. But due to the nature of when we're recording our show, we don't get to talk about 80s movies anymore, except for in Diana's classic corner. And I propose this already. The year 1982, 40 years ago, is the best year ever in cinema history. It's right up there. There are years people talk about, 99, 39... I don't see 82 come up, and I think it's because it's the best year in genre film. That's exactly it. I mean, uh, genre is only now becoming mainstream, Mm -hmm. and uh, 82 is overwhelmingly famous for genre films, Uh, not uh, the Oscar winners of that year, but the pop culture movies that went on to define the decade, really. Oh, I feel stupid that I said something about taking a boat over a mountain and not saying that I dream of electric sheep. What was I thinking? <laughs> I'm early. Uh, it's and, early, and man. All yeah, those comments are going to be lost like tears. <laughs> in the rain. See, okay. So we're going to focus. Our primary focus is going to be on the summer of 80, 82, because I don't care who you are. You love one of these movies. One of these movies is your favorite movies of all time. Even if you don't, it's, uh, I, I was going to try and tally the box office gross, but it doesn't matter because one of the movies in here became the highest grossing movie of all time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So no matter, it, it, so it has to be one of the highest grossing years of all time. One of the movies is con- considered the funniest, the second funniest movie of all time by the AFI. Mm-hmm. Uh, 11 of these films, 11 of the two films were, are in the national film registry. I think more than any, from any other year. Um, so we're going to focus on the summer, but real quick, I wanted to, I'm going to give you the rest of 1982 in a short burst um, because these movies are all notable and worth talking about. Some of which we might have more to say uh, some, some not so much, but obviously I got to leave with lead with this film that came out in 1982, November 19th. What holds more thrills than Superman 2? What has more bite than Jaws 2? What packs more punch than Rocky 3? Hey, what's up, Duck? It's Bugs Bunny's third movie, A Thousand and One Rabbit Tales. Oh, I had to put that in there. Big Looney Tunes fan. And if you, if you don't know, before there was home video, and the only way to revisit your favorite Looney Tunes, they would repackage them horribly in theaters with wraparound, sometimes new wraparound animation. And, try, and this tries to connect one froggy evening and other disparate <laughs> Looney Tunes. Into the a wraparound story. animation was always the worst. Yes. It was you horrible. could tell the quality difference. And and even as those... like a four-year-old, you'd be like, that ain't right. And These gorgeous hear... 40s animations at the yeah. height of their game. And then it's like, uh, can Ed from accounting make Bugs Bunny? <laughs> no, I guess I... so. Chuck Jones directed one of these. 
but they were also the only way you could get the Looney Tunes on home video for the most part, like in these movie repackagings. And, uh, and you can also hear the age in Mel Blanc's voice for the wraparounds. They're, mm. they're so awful. And I, I love that the Looney Tunes are still streamable. They hold up. People, kids watch them. But not these movies. <laughs> they're like impossible <laughs> to find. Uh, some of them aren't even on DVD. Okay, so other summer movies. Wes Craven's Swamp Thing. Um, this, is in, this is in chronological order outside of the summer. Non-summer 1982 movies. Swamp Thing. Wes Craven's Swamp Thing. I love it. Real quick. Watched uh, a ton of it because it was the only comic book movie yes. I could find uh, after watching Superman 1 and 2 a bunch of times. And I don't have all the exact details, but if I'm not mistaken, West Swamp Thing was a 6-12 issue comic book miniseries in the 60s. Wes Craven liked it, adapted it into a movie. All of a sudden, we then get superhero movies and Swamp Thing comes back as a character and has never really left in DC. He was not being published in comics at the time. Uh, and then they start making new Swamp Thing comics and they hire a young writer named Alan Moore <laughs> to start writing Swamp Thing. So he, all this stuff happens because of Wes Craven's Swamp Thing, <laughs> including a USA show that aired for four years based with starring the exact same actor who played Swamp Thing in the movie. Uh, the second movie is terrible. Uh, also on the 19th, Martin Scorsese's vastly underrated The King of Comedy. Oh, man. If you liked... Any two minutes in Joker, you suck because you haven't seen King of Comedy. It is almost everything from the movie The Joker is based on Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. Yep. As Robert De Niro is aspiring comedian Rupert Pupkin who kidnaps talk show host Jerry Lewis to force him to put his set on the air. It is fantastic and one of the most unscorsese De Niro outings you've ever seen. It is yeah. awesome. It, it, it's so weird. That, yeah, it's a 40-year-old satire that holds up. Mm -hmm. that's strange and, uh, march 12th richard pryor live on the sunset strip oh i the poster even makes me laugh his foot getting hit by a car on the highway <laughs> it became the highest grossing concert film of all time uh this year only beaten out with eddie murphy's raw a few years later the atomic cafe this is one of the movies uh, in the national film registry i know diana talked about it on 30 2010 i can't recommend this enough there's it's like a documentary with no narrator they just tell a story about our atomic fears using only industrial films, and it tells a coherent story, not unlike Kayona Scotsy, which I think is also out this year. Yeah. March 19th, happy yeah, birthday have, to me. I was going to say, before I even get away from that, it's a great year for, for trippy films because there's Atomic yeah. Cafe, Kayona Scotsy, and Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yes. So yes, good, good time for California medicine. Happy birthday to me. It's Porky's from the director of Christmas Story. A, I think as a culture, we all regret our involvement in Porky's at this point. Yes. When I was, I got my mom to sign off on a note at the video rental store saying that I could rent R-rated movies. Wow. And one of the first things I did was rent the entire Porky's trilogy. Trilogy. Oh yeah, my I think God. it's a trilogy. And I couldn't get through it, even with the promise of nudity. I couldn't get through it as a young teenager. So I. And this is in the pre-internet porn days, people. Please keep that in yes. mind. Uh, so I can't imagine how they would look today. It's a, oh, it's a bad American graffiti bad. Uh, with some sexual assault. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's a 82 is a great year for sex comedies because we have yeah. like the high points and the low points together because there's Porky's and Zapped both come Zapped. out. 
have this year where Scott Bayo gets the powers to lift women's skirts and pull down their. T- these yes. are these are movies that really exist. That really I- actually <laughs> exist. And then we have two of the best. I'm going to argue sex comedies, even though there's a lot more going on. Diner and Fast Times at Richmond High. Right. I would throw the last American version in that oh, conversation. Gosh, that's that's also, also an 82 film. Whoa. It very, for what it is, it handles abortion and lost love in a pretty mature way for a teenage sex comedy. Yeah. Oh, you're getting ahead of me. Oh, we have my favorite year, which Diana told me to bring up and then made a joke about it, us talking about it. Yes. My I've favorite. Oh, it is so, so much fun because it is about. Like the Sid Caesar show, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, an early variety TV sketch show Mm -hmm. with a ridiculously heavy hitter cast. And the writer's room is completely insane. Like Woody Uh, Allen, Mel Blanc. Or no, no, uh, uh, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. uh, uh, Larry Gelbart, who created the MASH TV show. Neil Simon, I think, came through there. Plus Carl Reiner, Sid Caesar, uh, Imogene Coca and the cast. And the movie is basically... What if super drunk Errol Flynn came to host and a Woody Allen-ish kind of nebbish guy had to go babysit him for a week? And the drunk Errol Flynn is played by Peter O'Toole, who knows from being a drunk. And uh, the Woody Allen-ish, Woody Allen nebbishy guy is played by Marklin Baker from Perfect Strangers. And oh my God, it is so funny. There's a whole sequence where they like go to visit his family in Brooklyn and his aunt is wearing a wedding dress because it's the nicest thing she owns and she's only worn it once. <laughs> it's so, so over the top and goofy. So much fun. So my favorite year is the movie, a 1982 movie that comes after the summer. The movies mm-hmm. we've, aforementioned movies are all pre-summer. This is all from October on. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Oh, the shit. Initially maligned <laughs> Halloween 3, now I think very beloved. It's better than, it's better than most of the Halloween sequels. <laughs> One of the least I... likable protagonists. He's such a mean yes. drunk. Yes. <laughs> I, I have always wanted to watch uh, the Halloween series. I've only seen one, and I've wanted to plow through them. Chris... Elm Street Nightmare. Oh, I, actually did, I did that last year. I went through all the Halloweens in order. I loved, oh, I loved, um, what is this called? Halloween Kills? Mm-hmm. What's the book? I love, yeah, uh, I watched all the Halloweens. But Halloween 3, in case you don't remember, uh, John Carpenter said, fuck it, I don't want to do any more Michael Myers story. We're just going to make a movie called Halloween every year, and we'll base it on whatever story we want. So it's people showing up to see Michael Myers kill again, or instead delighted with an alien conspiracy to control children and the populace through Halloween masks. And it's wonderful laying snake eggs in their eyeballs an enchanting song. Halloween three. See, I think it was a mistake to have Michael Myers in two. If he was going to go the anthology route, if every movie was different, starting with two people would have been used to it. But if you've go Michael Myers, Michael Myers, your obvious inclination is that the third one is also going to have Michael Myers. The alternate universe where if they would have done that, Michael Myers would have come. It'd be a every Halloween we get a different movie in the Halloween series. Michael Myers would return eventually, and then eventually they'd mash up every one of the IPs in some. Oh, oh, I wish that would have Avengers of it. Yes, Mm -hmm. I could see that. To have a, a, a cinematic annual series called Halloween that's different every time would have been fucking rad. And I hate the world for rejecting Halloween <laughs> 3 40 years ago. Uh, same day, First Blood. Also known as Rambo oh. 1. Whoa. Rambo 1. 
hey kids do you want your hero to be a disillusioned vietnam vet suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome who attacks local sheriffs after they abuse him hey they drew first blood not, <laughs> not him great great fucking movie no matter what you think of sylvester stallone and the ram but big year for stallone too holy shit yeah he's got what um, rocky yeah. three is this year too Hang on, we'll get there. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I keep we're, looking. I'm, we're going through the knots. This is all the. This is all from like Halloween on. Piranha 2: The Spawning, a hilarious Roger Corman movie in the debut, directorial debut of James Cameron. So, <laughs> oh like I'm saying, even if these movies aren't great, this is the most important year in film. It cannot be argued. Creep Show, George Romero and uh, Stephen King team up to make a Tales from the Crypt movie because they couldn't get the rights, and they make it better than any other tales from the crypt movie and better than some <laughs> episodes of the show it's one of my favorite halloween watches i love creep show it's the best slumber party massacre also released on november 12th uh the last unicorn um oh. i think what's interesting here is in 1982 there it's one of the biggest years in film but not for one of the biggest studios on the planet now disney disney does not have an animated film that releases this year but the last unicorn is fucking excellent it's one of my yeah, favorite films it, it, it's it's such a different experience than your disney or your pixar or your dreamworks or anything we have it was the tail end of 70s animation where they're yeah. really trying to experiment with things and it's really fucking sad like the whole yeah. thing is sad mia farrow sounds like she's crying the whole time <laughs> great vocal performance from jeff bridges and alan arkin and, uh, uh, and music by america the horse with no name guys Walking man's road. I, I love the last unicorn. My my dream remake is Miyazaki tackles yeah, the last it, unicorn. It feels a little Miyazaki-esque. Uh, Q the Winged Serpents couldn't be 1982 without that. 48 hours, the film debut of Eddie Murphy, one of the most bankable movie stars on the planet. His makes him film. a star. Mm -hmm. yep. This instantly catapults him from that funny guy on SNL to no, you're 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 a full-on movie star right now. I forget what interview I was listening to, but they, Eddie Murphy was part of a group chat and they were talking about when they got their SAG cards. And he's like, 48 hours. The first movie I ever, the first thing I ever did. <laughs> that's when I got, that's when I got my SAG card. Uh, I, that movie I, I starred in that was like yes. one of the 10 highest grossing films of the year. Yeah. Yes, the movie with my name over the title. That was when I did everything for the first time. Uh, Eddie Murphy getting huge. Gandhi out on the same day, which will win the Oscar this year. <laughs> uh, the verdict, I think Diana said oh, to mention. I don't know the verdict. Outstanding uh, legal drama starring older Paul Newman as sort of a washed up and barely redeemable kind of guy. The verdict uh, is super good. Airplane 2, the sequel. Oh, this is, I watched this so many times, though. It was just like the go-to thing in syndication. It's like, well, Airplane 2's on, so. <laughs> I don't, it guess. was either Comedy Central or HBO. They would air this, like, every fucking day. And I, it took me forever to see the first Airplane huh. and appreciate huh. it and then unappreciate Airplane 2. <laughs> uh, also, for me, every time I went to the, to the we would rent this uh, little beach shack and there'd be a, a TV with an antenna on it, and you'd only get like three fuzzy stations every year. We'd go around like Memorial Day, and there would always be the movie Savannah Smiles, which I I think was shot around our area. It's it was huge in the Florida community. <laughs> Tragic uh, death of the lead act, the little girl, but uh, two two 
felons befriend a little girl and they go on an adventure together. A very small movie made by an, the only movie made by this actor whose name I forget, uh, but it became this 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 sleeper hit, a very cheap family movie, uh, and aired on over the air stations for years. Sophie's Choice, a movie this year. Oh, so good. I mean, obviously depressing as hell, and not just because, you know, it's about her actual choice and her being a Holocaust survivor, but mm-hmm. Kevin Klein doing one of the best performances of what it's like to be around someone who's bipolar. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. uh, it's so good that uh, watching it before they even tell you, oh, he has a mental illness. I'm like, this guy's kind of bipolar, you know, uh mm-hmm. I don't think you can rely on him because of the problem. Oh, nope. There he goes. Nope. He's manic again. Okay. I know I've but, seen this, but I hear it referenced more. Uh, that's the thing. Choice, and it's like, that's the I don't thing. even remember yeah. what the movie's about. <laughs> this is referenced by people who weren't born when it came out. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they don't even think about it. It's just something you say. If it's a difficult decision to make, that's a real Sophie's choice. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if you know what it's about, you're not going to use that uh, flippantly <laughs> anymore because yeah. uh, it's about her but and I, her I, two I, children. I a hamburger or a hot dog, Diane. <laughs> it's real Sophie's <laughs> choice here. You wouldn't go into McDonald's like, man, do I get the regular or the spicy nuggets? This is just like having to pick between my life and my daughter's during the Holocaust. Oh, it's <laughs> worse than that. It's not even picked between your life and your kid's life because most parents probably pick you know save my kid yeah, you, she has two kids they're getting yeah, loaded right. onto the cattle car and a guy makes her pick one which which one are we gonna kill right now yeah yeah they made a whole movie about that oh in equally problematic territory we have richard Pryor's the toy oh. also starring jackie gleason we watch this all the time in sleepovers <laughs> i mean richard Pryor was really popular yeah. for the toy and Brewster's Millions mm-hmm. with my uh, grade school sleepover crowd. And it just amazes me that he's such a filthy comic, um, <laughs> given those two movies were, were ones we watched all the time. I can't think of anything comparable. I can't think of a filthy comic today who also makes kind of yeah, like, sleepover like pair. Being like two movies, but Richard yeah. Pryor has like dozens of terrible films, which is crazy because like before he was like super popular comedian, He's like a really good actor in a couple of films mm-hmm. uh, early on. But The Toy is a movie about a rich kid whose father buys him a black man to play with. Hmm. <laughs> they, they make fun of it uh, during the film for that. They but do. yeah, they do. On the December 17th, Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal. Um, an amazing, amazing ballsy film and is emblematic of Jim Henson would fall back on the Muppets. He was always trying to do weird and different shit. He was trying to push the art form, and this is a push-the-art-form film. I mean, if you look at any film puppetry before The Dark Crystal, and then look at The Dark Crystal, it blows it away. Not a single film can compete on the puppetry front with Dark Crystal. Yeah, Dude, I, I wonder what was going on because I mean a lot of these movies like they're all coming at the same time. He's like, wow, what was going on in Hollywood? They came up with this. There are so many good kids movies this year, but they are all dark, dark. and scary. Okay. I have a master theory. Uh, right. My master theory is 1982 is the last time we could get 
personal blockbusters. This is a time when blockbusters were still being made, but they were often someone's unique vision, someone's unique process. Uh, in a few years, we're going to get uh, Back to the Future. It took five years to write that, and it was written by essentially two people. Uh, in today's modern blockbuster warrior world, every blockbuster you see is written by committee. Yep. None of them are just like, yeah. There's a guy in Des Moines. He had a great screenplay. It really spoke to him, and we're buying it, and we're making it into a blockbuster. No, we're, but Mar Mar the Marvel universe in particular, it's like a fucking factory. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. constantly cranking out. It just keeps on moving. Yeah, and no uh, matter but, what, the, the, even if they think it's great, they're gonna have a couple script doctors take a pass yep. at it. Yep. yep. Yeah. But but in this age, you know, uh, Dark Crystal is a hundred percent Jim Henson's vision, and he was allowed to try and make a blockbuster with. He he his was forced vision. to film it in English because he tried to <laughs> create his own language and subtitle <laughs> the whole fucking film because he is a, occasionally a maniac. But like, I love the story of Jim Henson. He made nobody wanted the Muppet Show. They brought it over to England, and it became syndicated in America and out did better in the ratings than everything it was up against. It became a global phenomenon because of how rejected the Muppets were by America. But he wanted to shut it down after five years to make a Muppet movie. And then like, I want to keep making movies. I don't want to be attached to this 20 episode of the Muppets in every year. I want to keep making movies and dark crystal underperformed. And that didn't really get to be until George Lucas came along and helped make labyrinth. Uh, but like, I wish Jim Henson got to make more movies like this. And if you haven't seen the dark crystal Netflix series, I've never seen puppeteering to the point like, dude, you're like showing off. <laughs> this is so impressive. This is so impressive and dense. Uh, it, it's pretty fucking good, and it's a shame it's canceled after one season. Oh, it, it, it was hard to get past that opening narration. You know, there was so much world building. I tried to show my kids the Netflix thing, and they just pieced out after like minute ten of. And this race did such and such, but yeah. they were with such and such. There's a uh, uh, and then none of those movies I have mentioned. Outgross the next one, Tootsie. Hell no, yeah. <laughs> no idea how it holds up. I don't care to watch Pretty it. Pretty well. Yeah. Considering it's about uh, an egotistical actor who pretends to be a woman to get a job on a soap opera, mm -hmm. you would expect there's going to be some bad gay panic jokes, some bad anti trans jokes. Oddly, no. Really? Okay. So that's there is a bit of <laughs> There is a bit of gay panic, but it's treated more like confusion than like ew it's more okay. like oh no no i don't think of you that way as opposed to ooh, icky. I, the only, I, I didn't want to watch this even as a kid in the i remember the only reason i did is because is that bill murray and it's like it's bill murray and like the the best friend a role he's never ever done before or since like he's just the side comedy best he, friend I feel like this this makes him more of a star too. Yeah, honestly, probably. this show's like, oh no, we can put him in movies mm -hmm. because he's essential. I mean, he's basically the straight man <laughs> to to Dustin Hoffman because he is plays his roommate in his most Garfieldish performance, <laughs> besides being actually Garfield, because he needs to be the guy who's like, that's a really dumb idea, and I don't think you should do that. And then he does it anyway, and then he's like, "Okay, well, up oh, phone's ringing. I'm gonna pick it up." And Dustin Hoffman's like, "No, you can't pick it up because because it would be wrong for her to live with a man. That's not like what she would do because he's so method." 
he has to live as this character. Mm. And uh, yeah, then it just annoys Bill Murray trying to cover for him. And Terry Gard also in it. She's so fucking funny in this movie. Oh my God. I Yeah, you'd be surprised. You would really think, oh, this is not going to age well. And I, I really did. It, it, and I'm shocked it's aged well, but and, and it is also I remember, so fun. Everyone is on fire in this movie. Have they, have they updated the AFI 100 funniest movies of all time list? Because Tootsie was number two yep. behind the other other drag comedy, Some Like It Hot. Yep. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I rewatched it a bunch of years ago. Well, not maybe like five years ago. And I was like, showed it to Michael for the first time. And you know, when you show someone a movie, like, and you really like it, like now you're starting to see the flaws, like mm -hmm. you're worried they're not going to like it too. And I was like, nah, <laughs> this is still really good. And the end, I have seen the end recreated at least on Family Guy and Children's Hospital. Just <laughs> shot for shot redoing the, uh, the big climax of the movie. And it's like, who is this for besides me? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of for Diana, the final movie, of not summer at 1982 trial of the pink panther oh god Lake no Edwards. no no nope. it's the la it's the last Clouseau nope. movie with uh sellers he's dead i know I it's, know. it's old footage it's old footage but <laughs> it's a crime <laughs> I, well, and it's so upsetting because he blake edwards also made one a movie i absolutely adore this year victor victoria wow. which is one of his best it's, That's with his wife in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Again, another drag comedy. Julie Andrews playing uh, a woman who pretends to be a man who pretends to be a drag queen. Ooh. And again, something you expect, oh, this isn't going to age well. And it does. It ages great. And also it's a musical. And <laughs> um, I, I literally think it's why I was never like homophobic as a kid because I saw it at a young age and like, the gay character seems like such a good guy and like he's not treated as weird he's or a punchline he's treated as like yeah this is her friend and uh he likes men some people are mean to him about it it's like but he seems like a nice guy so don't be mean to robert preston of the music man just because he likes boys and, eh. and that and that concludes the not summer movies of 1982 those are all yeah. out in a theater and if you remember how movies stayed in theaters for like up to a year at that point. So you could have seen any one of these at any point in 1982, and we haven't even talked about the summer ones, which we will in depth right after the break. Hello, fellow nerf herders. Did you not like Last Jedi, Rise of the Skywalker, or would you just prefer a majority of Star Wars fans take a slow walk into a volcano? What I'm saying is, are you sick of Star Wars? Well, I thought I was, but my co-host Jeremy and Adam beg to differ. Except when they don't. Get ready for a whole lot of love, a whole lot of hate, and a whole lot of geeky therapy in our new series, Sick of Star Wars, with a big giant question mark, exclusively available at patreon.com slash laser time. Here's a little taste. My funky. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about Empire Strikes Back. Uh, here's a little bit of a teaser trailer from 1979. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. So can you tell who the narrator is? Dude, it, it sounds like a, a powdered toast man, like a reader. That's what's so crazy about it. 
because the narrator is Harrison Ford. Is it really? Yeah, he's doing like, yeah. Like, a, like a radio. Yeah, it's the most enthusiastic performance I've ever heard from Harrison yeah, Ford ever, in my ever. life. <laughs> uh, but it's but you can hear it. Listen. Now the creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga: The Empire Strikes Back. The, the title it is the That's title was the title Empire Strikes Back was I think leaked as early as 1978. It sounds like. My wife listens to podcasts on 1.25 speed. Oh, it sounds like it. I can't either. It sounds like chipmunks to me. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> oh, that's sick of Star Wars. Available exclusively at patreon.com slash laser time, along with weekly bonus shows, over 100 movie commentaries, exclusive bonus podcasts, and more for just five bucks. And that's in addition to the brand new show, Sick of Star Wars, an angst-ridden podcast saga told in nine parts. Listen long and prosper. This is so wizarding. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. There's yeah. no build-up or tension, whereas here I was like, they do play with it a few times. There were a couple of moments where I was like, telegraphing it and i'm like okay so they're obviously nothing's going to be there this time but then a second later something else is going to happen which usually does and then it's kind of like on that third one it's like all right now there's going to be that extra beat of calm and then chucky's going to be there and that didn't really happen like on they actually yeah, that's would what... throw a couple extra beats in on some of them and the, the amount of that tension it's... it strung me along with because like he's a good guy doll for like a half an hour and you know something sinister is afoot and something's about to explode and they just don't... It's tantric horror for a little, a little while. Just building the tension. Yeah, all the gore Chris, going Chris inside. Chris was edging. Yeah. I was, yeah. <laughs> Mancini oh, was edging okay. me. <laughs> Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday starting for just $5 on patreon.com slash laser time. the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And on to this, Conan, destined to bear the jeweled crown of Aquilonia upon a troubled brow. It is I, his chronicler, who alone can tell thee of his saga. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Ooh, coming in with uh, music familiar to you if you really wanted to enjoy Arnold Schwarzenegger's debut, not his debut role, I think he played Hercules before that, but it doesn't compare to his breakout role as Warrior. Gladiator, Conqueror, Conan, Conan the Barbarian. I didn't. I wasn't really into this kind of stuff as a kid. And Mystery Science Theater 2000 trained me to kind of sneer at barbarian <laughs> movies. I went back and watched this less than a year ago. This movie's insane, mm-hmm. and I think uh, you guys did a whole Patreon podcast about it. But 
it's totally worth a watch. It is so otherworldly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a medieval movie. It is it is like an a movie about aliens. No one acts like a human. <laughs> you know, this is a amazing film. I've got a ton of thoughts about it. I do encourage the listeners to listen to the Patreon episode. Com slash laser time. Do it, people. Uh, uh, I was a huge Conan fan. Uh Part of my quarantine activity was watching the entire sword and sorcery oeuvre. There's only about 40 films. Red Sonia. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Red Sonia. Yep. And uh, Conan is by far the best. And if you want to know why, listen to the Patreon. Indeed. And now, and now it comes to the movie I saw the most, <laughs> but I have no recollection of. I know I tell this story all the time when I was a kid. We, my dad, late in the game, bought a VHS player, but he'd, we'd only go to a mom and pop video rental store his friend owned, and his friend was like, nah, Betamax is the thing. So he had it's all higher Betamax. quality. He was it's right. higher quality. Betamax is going to win. And then a little tiny shelf of VHSs with like basically 10 movies I could pick from. And that, and I did for years. One of them was this movie, which I watched almost every weekend before I was eight years old and I've never seen again. He's the child in all of us. She'll put a song in your heart and a smile on your face. She's Annie. Uh, Annie. I watched Annie so much back in the day, and now it's more famous for Jay Z songs. <laughs> <laughs> Annie. This is I. I'm also. I watched this a whole bunch as a little kid. So I went back a couple of years ago. And it was like, how much of it is stuck in my head? Like, it's it's just hiding there. But also, like, the weirdness. Like, the end is kind of scary. Um, you know, it's very dance-heavy because Anne Rankin is there, which is cool because she's amazing. Um, and it's directed by John Huston. John and, <laughs> and it's starring Albert Finney? Uh -huh. What? John Huston? But, like, Carol what? Burnett's really funny and Tim Curry's really funny. And it's like, it's not great, but... It was like I, pleasant. I don't know. It and Annie, I, it, it it's a full on balls out old timey musical, and it's the tenth highest grossing movie of the year. Dang. It still works for kids today. I yeah. showed it to my daughter. Uh, my son wasn't really into it, but my daughter stayed the whole time, and yeah, it was enjoyable for her. So it still works. Mm -hmm. So just two movies in Conan and Annie. I hear what you're saying. Nineteenth <laughs> summer isn't that. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> Wrong. Then we get to Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. I'm just kidding. That did come out, and Diana talked about it in 302010. We get quite possibly the award for most improved sequel goes to... <laughs> when all that's left is one last chance. Pray that he's still out there. Somewhere. Mad Max 2. So, so what a bizarre franchise history. One of the best action movies ever made. It's insane. It's, it's on a lower scale than Fury Road, but if you haven't seen Mad Max 2, the vision of putting that together, especially if you have, haven't seen Mad Max 1, which is a relatively low-key, micro-budgeted Australian film, uh, which barely leans into its apocalypse at all. Like, there's just... Mm -hmm. there's they, they just live in a really rough neighborhood, I guess. You know, there's all these scenes inside, 
like homes with roofs and like that's not a mad max movie well it is the first movie and it, i think in europe it's called mad max 2 because there was some frame of reference but they added the road warrior for america because they assumed this would be people's introduction to mad max and this is the movie that gives us the vision of the apocalypse yes. for the next 40 years yes i mean mm -hmm. it's pretty much every post-apocalyptic film you've seen in your lifetime mm -hmm. owes a debt to mad max 2 george miller yeah just the the depiction of the dystopian future as water deprived scavengers who as assemble the remnants of a former society together to build hovels and ships uh it's great oh. australia is such the perfect place to yeah. film that I mean, Australia is so freaking big, and so much of it is just this wasteland where you're like, <laughs> I could utterly believe you guys fought a nuclear war. When? Last Tuesday? <laughs> yeah, it's a good year for Mel Gibson, 82, because he also makes uh, another movie that's less well-known called The Year of Living Dangerously with Sigourney Weaver. Uh, yeah. It's about the Indonesian dictatorship that's also really, really tense and really good. And again, Mel Gibson, not the biggest movie star yet. Kind of just, oh, no. just nope. getting there. But like, this is what catapults him into uh, roles like Lethal Weapon coming up. This is the start of him becoming a star. He is not a star at this point. Yeah, not even close. He's a star of an Australian sequel that, kind of, but like, was a huge hit. Like, I, I didn't see this until I was in my teens, but like, hearing older people talk about Mad Max coming, Mad Max 2 hmm. specifically blowing minds like i just oh i want to i want every movie to be set in this world <laughs> and then you get a terrible sequel in thunderdome pretty terrible eh, know, most, kind of it's got some parts it, chris no, can't no. you get beyond thunderdome <laughs> and then a i want tina turner in charge of the apocalypse i i trust her how many years afterwards did fury road come out after thunderdome it's astonishing mm. uh, that that they let him make that Warner Brothers let him make Thir Fury Road, considering the presence of Mad Max as a IP was like pretty dead. Yeah, twenty something so years. Yeah, let's something let years. that seventy year old guy go out in the desert and, some and let's was not go <laughs> to Fury Road for another ten years. What the fuck is wrong with Warner <laughs> Brothers? Jesus Christ! There's not. We still don't have a sequel to Fury Road. It's infuriating. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in, in terms of other sequels. Oh, it doesn't get much bigger than this. This is all in May. We haven't left May yet. Conan, Annie into Mad Max 2 and into this. It's Rocky's greatest challenge to save his honor, his marriage, and his manhood against his most devastating and dangerous opponent. Bust you on. Go for it. Sylvester Stallone, Talia Shire, Burgess Meredith, Carl Weathers, Young and introducing Mr. T. Rocky Three, an American tradition. <laughs> uh, see, this is when the Rocky films start going downhill in a big way. No, Rocky no. One is a amazing working class drama. Yeah, I mean, he is such a sympathetic, realistic, well done character in it. Rocky and, two is the shots of Philadelphia, like the, mm -hmm. the poor areas of Philadelphia. Rocky one is it, like inarguably a flawless film. It's good on like an arts level, independent level. And it's not directed by Sylvester Stallone, which 
you know, every other yeah. Rocky movie is. And Rocky Two is a downgrade, but it's still a good flick. Three is just cheese. Three is just like you are cashing this paycheck. It's so good. It's so silly. Yeah, they're yeah. getting sillier. Three and yeah, four are, are the yeah. silly ones. Mm-hmm. There's, I didn't again. I didn't watch these movies. I didn't grow up watching these movies. I watched these in my twenties in a row, and I'm just on the edge of my seat, giant smile on my face, enjoying every. Mo- it is cheesy, but like tr- Mr. T as a movie star and not a guy who does like insurance commercials. Wonderful. Mr. T is an imposing threat who punches Burgess Meredith to death. <laughs> uh, I think I think Rocky Three is I, all all the first five Rocky movies are wonderful. I recommend them all. Wow, um, even going to bat for Rocky Five, huh? When I watched it, in a, it just seemed like a natural progression. Yeah, of, I actually kind of liked Rocky Five. Yeah, it just he he doesn't get to box much, and it's just bizarre that like the whole world is behind boxing this much. This outgrossed every other Rocky movie. Like almost com- seventeen Whoa. million dollar budget, three hundred million dollar gross for Rocky Three. You, you See, know why? Uh, it's the song. Why? The song debuts in March. Uh, <gasps> Eye of the Tiger. Oh, they're prepping oh, us for the movie. Right. So you have to you have to think like I don't listen to the radio much anymore, and MTV doesn't play music videos. But like, radio DJs for two months are playing this hit song "Eye of the Tiger" by Survivor, telling you it's from the upcoming Rocky three. So it's got like three fucking months of promotion on this huge hit song that gets nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> and the Rocky three becomes the uh, fourth highest grossing movie of the year. I can tell you when it's time, uh, when my kids are old enough to watch the Rocky films, I'm going to watch Rocky one with them and then skip right to Balboa. Nothing in between. Really? Uh-huh. Yep. Dude, four is so much fun. You got to tell them so all about dumb. the Cold War, though. It's, it's, so it's not going to have any context for them. It's so fun. God damn it! I want to see that new cut they released of Rocky Four. Um, man, again, there's not there's not enough time. There's not enough time to watch all these movies. These movies are so incredible. We are just in May, so we. When it comes- I, I want to pause our listeners for a moment. Imagine, you know, it's May thirty first, nineteen eighty two. You're eighteen year old. You got a car. You're not necessarily looking in the paper. You just drive to the movie theater because you're hanging out. 18, tons of free time. And all of those films are available. You can just pick any one of them Mm -hmm. and be just blown away. You probably have multiple theaters in your area because they're not all closing down to make room for one 30-screen megaplex. Again, some of these movies are playing for like a year, up to a year. And then we get to the movies of June... And the movies of June are <laughs> they're here because, ladies and gentlemen, we got the Toby Hooper follow up to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, Toby Venus Hooper's Hooper. in quotes. Uh, we can talk about it. <laughs> Poltergeist. It knows what scares you. Wonderful. I clowns. Polter- Those fucking clown, yeah. man. Yeah. That scares yeah. me. So I, when I was in my huge George Lucas phase, I got a couple of books on industrial light and magic. And this is one of the films they talk about. If you recall, at the end of this movie, the house implodes upon itself. Yeah. Mm. And that still looks utterly amazing today. I encourage you to look up that effect on YouTube and think about 
how they did it. I know how they did it, but do either of you know how they did no. it? No. They had to create two things that had never been invented before. They had to invent a vacuum sucker that could blow, suck quicker and harder than any vacuum had ever sucked before <laughs> in all of time. They built a picture-perfect model of a house and put that vacuum underneath it. Then they had to build a camera that could record faster than any camera had ever recorded before. And then they filmed the model being sucked down into the vacuum cleaner with a super high-speed camera and then played that film back at normal speed so that you see the house slowly collapse. And that's how you had to get stuff done in the <laughs> days before CGI. Oh, when, when movie making didn't require a mouse. <laughs> but, but Poltergeist is an interesting film for a lot of reasons, uh, being that it's Steven Spielberg kind of getting away with continuing to get away with murder after a you know, Temple of Doom and Gremlins kind of creating the PG-13. This is a scary fucking film, but is not R-rated. It is a for-the-family haunted ghost story that is genuinely fucking scary. Like, I wouldn't recommend it for kids. Yeah, it, it's um, it's weird because we have another Spielberg movie coming up a week later. I mean, he, he produced <laughs> this. Um, you know, there's arguments about how much of it he shot because he was getting in fights with toby hooper at least you know the hands that are pulling skin off of someone's face that's spielberg um, well uh, this is the summer that uh steven spielberg gives you both all your childhood hopes mm -hmm. and all your childhood fears yeah within yeah. a week yeah within a week but they're also two arguably horror movies about the suburbs that's my favorite thing about Poltergeist is it's mm -hmm. it's about living in cookie cutter suburbs, but what's underneath? They didn't move the bodies. They moved the headsets, but they didn't move the bodies. And in burial, I, I've watched The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror more than I've watched Poltergeist, and that's yeah. totally what that's based on. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then just adding in the idea, like, oh, it's a it's a cursed film, and if it is cursed, it's because th there's a scene where uh, Joe Beth Williams is in. Uh, the swimming pool and it's full of skeletons. They're they're real. Yeah. I don't know how or why they used real skeletons, but that's but they kind look of real is the thing. But that's like the they point of the movies to not bother <laughs> dead people. God, yeah, you make they got the shot, Diana. They uh, got the shot. They got the shot, but they all got cursed. No, yeah, they yeah, don't. The, why do they say because the, the lead actress died pretty tragically. Um, but, no, the, it's the teenage sad. the teenage daughter uh, Dominique Dunn was killed by her boyfriend. Right. Um, the little girl she died very young yeah. from uh, it was uh, like an abdominal problem that was undiagnosed. She's in the third movie that comes out posthumously. Yeah. The third poltergeist. Yeah. Uh, so Besides that, I don't know what it is, but. Craig T. Nelson Craig had to T. be Nelson's... on coach. Yeah, he seems to be doing okay. Um, yeah, this was talked about as a in lighter times back when we thought we saw a ghost in a three minute a baby. Yeah, uh, but as a haunted house movie, just your your basic everyday haunted house stuff. It's kind of this versus Amityville Horror. Is like which is the better one? And I like this one a lot more. It's it's difficult for me. I wasn't really around to pinpoint the rise of Spielberg, but he's coming off of uh, 
Raiders and uh, Close Encounters. Yep. And he's also very young and enthusiastic, so he's shepherding a ton, like too many projects. This is also like <laughs> the period where he's making Gremlins and Back to the Futures too, and he is Universal's like, dude, focus. By his contract, he is not allowed to direct anything until he's done with the movie that releases next week. But as legend goes, he was so jazzed about fucking Poltergeist, he would still show up at the set every day and start calling shots. And I think we have a, it's, it's an urban myth, but there's a lot of truth to it that Steven Spielberg secretly directed Poltergeist, right, mm -hmm. Diana? Right. As much reading as I've done about it, it really looks like he, he would just show up on set and just kind of start directing. He was Toby Hooper's boss. And they did butt heads over it, but like they built the movie together. Toby Hooper directed more than Spielberg did, but he really would come on set and just kind of take over. But not in a, I know what I'm doing. Let me do this. Like, oh, dude, let me try this. Let me try this. Like, <laughs> like it, he would just, he was such an enthusiast. I just love thinking of Spielberg like that, making this, oh, this would be a, this would really scare the literal piss out of children. Let me try this. <laughs> um, yeah, but like that's, it, it, it sucks that Toby Hooper is no longer with us to put that argument to rest. But I, I would I would just want to go out there and say Spielberg did not secretly direct Poltergeist. No, not the whole nope. thing. He just interfered a lot in, yes. <laughs> in positive ways. Poltergeist uh, is out. On the same day, <sighs> we get a, a franchise-saving sequel. The universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek Dune. The Wrath of Khan. Oh, man. Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, baby. If this had bombed, we would not have Next Generation. We would not have Deep Space Nine. Nope. We would not have any more Star Trek films. Lower Decks. Whatever the fuck is going on yeah. in Paramount+. Plus. This film is the only reason we have Star Trek today. We might have gotten a reboot sometime in the 2000s when they rebooted Get Battlestar Galactica or stuff like that. But this film was the rebirth of star trek you know it was a joke you watch saturday night live and they are mocking star trek all the time because it's on on reruns but you know things pass out of reruns it's it's like not unlike the muppets a show that nobody liked on was it nbc like primetime television mm -hmm. eight o'clock gets three seasons always struggling with uh getting renewed and eventually gets its budget cut canceled and and then because new TV stations are popping up all over the country and they can't afford to make their own show. They, they syndicate this show called Star Trek. And I forget the statistics, but like around the world, every day you could watch Star Trek throughout the 70s and uh, this, the 70s and 80s every, multiple times a day from just those three seasons. And people were, and they were getting not more, better, more in depth more, to them. And people more people writing. were watching. More people were aware of Star Trek than they ever were when it was on the air. And <laughs> They once Star Wars hits, Paramount's fuck this. We really need to talk about resurrecting Star Trek. We need to do it immediately. And they try and make a television show. Fuck that. They try and make a movie. Star Trek the motion picture. I, I talking so much because I watched all of these in a row very recently. Uh, Star Trek the motion picture, I think, is comes straight from Gene Roddenberry, an idea, and it is very much a film about an idea <laughs> but like yeah, I, I, but it has they, they really go for a prestige thing yes. i mean they hire yeah. robert wise who's like an actual director you know mm -hmm. made freaking sound of music and west side story and, and also day the earth stood still one of the best sci-fi movies ever made 
It's slow. It's slow. So slow. We were recently in 302010, we talked about Alien 3 and how, like, the sets were built before there was a script. And, like, the story of the the first Star Trek movie is, like, it costs $45 million and, like, 10 million of that is going to special effects, which aren't done until, like, a week or two before the movie's out. Even the director is, like, I kind of only got, like, one cut of the film because like it just had to they, they have a director's cut of it because he literally didn't have time uh no one really knew what this movie was going to look like the script wasn't ready they just knew they had to get it out and it's so slow but you have to imagine because i just watched it recently when they fly up to the enterprise they silently fly around it's pornographic shots of the yeah. enterprise on widescreen big it's huge I, I think they were just they were waiting for the audience to catch their breath. It's like five minutes of mm. silence and and kind of misplaced majesty. <laughs> and uh, in a 1979 context, I kind of get that. You know, your audience has been seeing Star Trek on their tiny CRT TVs for decades now, and they finally get to show the Enterprise in huge screen. I get that, but even at the time sci-fi critics were like we saw star star wars a a fight in space can be exciting and this isn't it they <laughs> and were, they were but like i i love pointing this out because i'm uh, sick of star wars and patreon.com slash laser time before star wars do you know what the highest grossing sci-fi movie was planet of the apes sadly no oh. it is 2001 a space odyssey okay and but that's if slow think, if you think of 2001 a space odyssey star trek is trying to keep its identity distinct from star wars Right. Leaning into 2001 Space Odyssey does make a little sense. And that's look at the effects. It's like, hope, oh, man, I hope all the hippies love, love all this. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's slow and it doesn't work. But the second movie yeah, is yeah. amazing. They greenlight it it's, immediately. It's a balls to the walls, great action adventure sci fi film. It's 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 what Star Trek on film should be. Mm -hmm. Rather than leaning to the side as the camera tilts to imply danger in this danger in the space, uh, legit action and effects are all of a sudden mm -hmm. occurring on the Enterprise. It's real explosions that really hadn't been seen before. Yeah. We're all we're all a little used to it now, given our age. But like an action-heavy Star Trek movie that literally picks up has so much confidence that people have seen every episode of the show is literally a sequel to an episode of the show. And that's the thing. There are some Star Trek movies which are long episodes of a Star Trek television show. Mm -hmm. This isn't one of those. This is a movie-ass movie. Yeah. This is giving you everything you want of your epic Star Trek. Not Star Trek on television. Star Trek on your big screen movie theater showing you huge events. Because, spoilers... Spock frickin' dies in this film. Oh, did you get... Mm -hmm. I, you sent me this news clip. This news clip, which is talking about summer movies that are coming. Mm -hmm. This is what the newscaster does. Talking about Star Trek 2. Hey, one of the main features of this sequel is the ending where the beloved Mr. Spock meets his end. But of course, in science fiction, nobody really dies. How were they leading with that in the marketing campaign? No. No. It was a big secret. Starlog was like furious about it. Every zine out there in people's hand-cranked basements was being produced about don't kill Spock. 
I mean, it, it was uh, an internet kerfluffle before the internet existed. And, and, and I love, it's one of the best fucking death sequences of a oh, major character. It so really movie. gets me every time. And, and then immediately undone. With the I wish they would have kept him dead. I'm sorry to all those people who love Spock. That was the perfect end to his character. If and he would have died right then, we lose nothing. I don't was, think... The only reason Leonard Nimoy agreed to be in the movie, he had he had backed out of the second movie. He's like, but if you kill me, I'll come back. And to entice him back to a third movie, you get to direct. <laughs> you do get you to direct the fourth. Direct the movie, and they resurrect Spock in the third movie uh, because of the Genesis Planet, which is interesting because Star Trek Two has the first all CGI scene. In yes, Cinematic really. 3. Yep. Yes, yeah. I think I love that. Uh, I think it's Pixar's work. You can see a CGI hand on a screen in Westworld, mm -hmm. but it's like a prop in the background. We're talking like a scene, a full scene on a movie screen that wasn't filmed with an actual camera that was created inside a computer. We've had some computer effects in uh, other things. I think there've been computer effects in commercials, but when they show the Genesis planet going through its uh, transition, that's the first CG scene in cinema history. Wow which is a milestone that will be undone next month with another movie that tends to get all the credit for that. Um, but it's it's subtle and it's perfect. And this movie is so... Ricardo Montalban and his fake tits <sighs> is so wonderful because he's, he's really... He's, he's like in his... 50s or 60s at this point yeah and i i see i kind of disagree with you i don't think you need to have seen the episode of the show because i i, I still have never seen that episode i haven't seen it and you understand that character almost immediately you, you yeah. get what he's mad about why they're afraid of him and then they show they show you oh no they're right to be afraid this guy's crazy the uh, only time i've ever seen the episode was at trek in the park uh, something in Portland where instead of Shakespeare in the park, they performed episodes of classic Star Trek. <laughs> oh, I watched nice. Space Seed that way, and that's the only way I've ever seen Space Seed. And I just I can't get over the miracle that Star in Star Trek Two. I don't I don't know that it's my favorite of the original series movies because I just love the whole fucking run, especially the two, three, and four. Uh, but it, it it not only it its success it is a quarter of the budget of the Star Trek one. Wow. Which yeah. made it, which made it Star Trek one made its money back, but the barely feedback, the feedback and the, and the vibe was bad because like, it yeah. wasn't necessarily critically panned, but fans were like, yeah, that was a little slow. And this, everybody's reaction was the opposite. This is mm -hmm. great. It's made for a quarter of the budget. It's action oriented. It's what a movie should be. It's, it's not Star Wars. It is, it is authentic to what Star Trek is in a wonderful way and the whole series goes forward from here like yeah. it, if Rathacon doesn't succeed star trek doesn't go on and it, yeah. it's just wonderful it's also a really rare instance of film of a trilogy in the middle of the series of the film yeah. because two three and four all directly lead to each other like yeah. they are direct sequels of each other uh, and that's not really true for any of the other Star Trek films. Yeah, you, you, like I love I, the first one I saw was four, and I'm like, it doesn't look like the, if they're, they they it opens them flying in with a, in a Klingon bird of prey because they yeah, had. Cause that's where they ended three. Where they ended three, and like, what the fuck? There's no Enterprise in this fourth movie. Uh, but oh yeah, fourth movie is so dude. The fourth movie, I don't care if you think you hate Star Trek, if you want a great time capsule of 1986. <laughs> Please watch Star Trek 4. 
when whales were the most important things we could save. Uh, but yeah, Star Trek, Wrath of Khan, just absolutely unbelievable. Like a literal miracle for Star Trek and everything works out. It makes more, it costs a quarter of the first movie and makes twice as much. How can we not make more of these forever? And, and every, like, if you, I, I love, I love looking back, like Leonard Nimoy writes a book. I'm not Spock. Everybody kind of like throws their, all the, the original cast kind of is seen as, they don't like their roles and what they're associated with. But once this starts becoming a huge moneymaker, <laughs> everybody keeps coming back and stays coming back and is thrilled to be involved in a Star Trek. But yeah, th obviously this also leads into next gen as well. I think takes the music directly. Uh, and then moving on to a little film that everyone's forgotten. A uh, little film. I Speaking of space, uh, let's head back. Let's leave space and head back to Earth for Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. His adventures on Earth. Uh, I think that's literally the full title of the film. E.T. Yeah. What do you say about E.T. that hasn't been said? Before? Uh, it's kind of flawless. Yeah. It, every choice was a good one. So much of the movie is shot with uh, low-angle cameras from the kids' perspectives. Found amazing child actors. Henry Donna's little, little tiny Drew Barrymore. Has there ever been better casting of younger actors than this film? No, they, they no do. Breath. They do an incredible <laughs> job. I mean, they... They set the scene of, they you know, feel like real kids. They, they really feel, feel like, like real, real kids. kids so much. So I just like the now. He can talk now. yeah, the way they're like, I want to show you all my toys, all my Star Wars toys, all my Star Wars toys. Like, yeah, check. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> how his kid would be. And uh, there's so many amazing touches Spielberg did to get that performance. The toys that Elliot is showing off are his actual toys from home. He asked his mother to bring his real toys from home so that he could be playing with his actual toys and get a better that, That's another reason. Brilliant. I, I want to say the movie objectively holds up, but like in terms of depictions of like my really young childhood, mm -hmm. that's what my room looked like. Steven Spielberg didn't have to worry about rights. There's all these licensed products that like, were pretty ubiquitous in every kid's home littering uh, Elliot's room. I Legos, non-licensed Legos, speak and spells like the, the technology and toys, of the eighties are all over this movie. It's just beautiful. I can smell the, the shag carpeting of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, and just, I mean, nailed how, you know, children are divorced at the time you know that obviously the parents have split up mom is mom's kind of struggling the kids are kind of on their own but like they're they they miss dad but they're mad at dad for making mom sad and then they get this like great new friend it's like makes everything like a a, a deep and abiding friendship that like you will never like the, the kind that you aspire to Right, right. It's it's everyone's relationship with their dog or pet that they wish they could have. They wish your dog could talk to you. They wish your dog could be get me drunk as loyal and, and loving <laughs> yeah, as a dog. Yeah. Get me, get me but, wasted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let let you go on adventures together, and it's so touching even today. Yeah, they really I, just I watch it once a year, yeah. uh, as at, like in the middle of the night, loud as possible, because I did. 
had the absolutely phenomenal and expensive experience of seeing E.T. live with like a hundred piece orchestra. It is one of John Williams's best scores. I think it might be one of the best scores of all time. And I, yeah. I, I, and, I, I and, will say that okay, I had well, the score on, on record when I was a little kid. So mm-hmm. I, would, I couldn't, we didn't have home before we had home video. I could listen to the ET score. Yep. And and yeah. I vividly remember seeing ET in the theater, despite being like two or three, very, very young. Yeah. I was a couple of years older than that. It scared the bejesus out of me. Cause it's another kid's movie that is very frightening at times extremely yep. for i was like traumatized by when et is sick and he's lying in a stream oh my god and then the the scary government people show up it's, i was terrified that, that, this that, that, is oh. a time when they weren't afraid to put kids in real yep. danger yep. this is the start of the kids on bikes sh- sub-genre <laughs> when it's just, yeah. you're on your bike you're on your your parents are busy go around and do stuff uh and come back by nine you know that's yeah. that was my life that mm-hmm. that was my life just on a bike hopefully my mother's could yell within range and get me back home uh in, in this movie that that bike chase sequence every mm. time is just such one of the best scenes in movie history in my opinion not now i'm not talking about the moon one i'm talking about like running through a developing suburb away from the police over these mountainous tears kids on bmx's doing the raddest shit you've ever seen as the John Williams score is cranked up to the maximum against those police sirens. I love that whole sequence because it was so terrifying as a kid to see like, uh, because yeah, you don't see the face of an adult other than the mom Mm -hmm. for the first hour of the film. And uh, the adult, you only see the the shots of his keys from like the, like the waist up the waist down. Mm -hmm. And then all these adults show up, some of them faceless to ransack Elliot's home and take his friend away. I, man, I feel like the film works for me as an adult, but I feel I, it, a lot of it was being a kid and like thinking if that fucking happened to me. Oh my God. Yeah. I wanted an ET. Didn't you want an ET? I mean, yeah, I have Ooh. one. I still have one. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 I wasn't be able to, I, I was too young to make a lot of my own merchandising choices. You know, like I want this toy, but I think my parents were pretty okay with me having ET stuff because they, because of how much they liked the movie. And so I, I, I had, I never had ET on home video, but I had the record, the st- speak and spell, toys, mar- ET markers. I had a ton of ET stuff when I was really, really young. Um, yeah, but yeah. Well, this is when it took forever to go to home video, where it was like, yes. yeah. Well, where is it? That and... stopped making money in theaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last so movie it... I saw to do that was Jurassic Park. It stayed in movie theaters for a year mm-hmm. because why bother? <laughs> We're not leaving money on the table. People are still seeing this. Yeah, but usually the cycle was six months to a year afterwards the VHS yeah. comes out. And they didn't. They held on to it for a long time. And then they made it an event when it finally did come to VHS. And fucking everybody had it. Mm-hmm. And um, what was I going to say? Um, mm. Also, it's... I think there was... Uh, it was like a quiz a while back that was pretty tough. It was like the, the top 10 highest grossing films that are an original property and have no sequels. Something that's a completely standalone yeah. film. You and only it, adjusted for inflation, yeah. This this is pretty much it, though. I mean, you want to talk about, yeah, movies that aren't a sequel, that don't have a sequel. It's like this and Passion of the Christ, man. It's just the highest well, grossing I, things of I, all time. I love gathering these stats. And I love the man who told me to do it, because that man was George Lucas. 
because mm. uh, films, you know, we have this thing called inflation. If you look at the top 50 highest grossing movies, E.T. isn't on it because it's not adjusted for inflation. And I remember George Lucas in an interview. I'm like, you don't look at the dollar value. You look at tickets sold. Uh, and Gone with the Wind sold the most, sold more tickets than Star Wars ever will. And he's correct. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you look at the top, the top uh, E.T., in, in 1982, E.T. becomes the highest grossing movie of all time, like by a long shot, like yeah. nothing within its wake within five years before or after. Yeah, that um, includes Star Wars and Empire. Yes. Adjusted for inflation, E.T. is the seventh highest grossing movie of all time. And when you look at those movies, um, you do have an Avengers Endgame in there, mm. but they're movies like for everybody. This means like everybody who would see movies would see this movie because you've yeah. gone with the wind titanic dr Zhivago, the 10 commandments <laughs> is uh num is right underneath it. the sound of music et is one of our last like old-timey classics but it's like it feels a little more modern to me and it works on every kid i show it to every uh girlfriend who thinks she's going to be bored throughout like it, it like it charms them again it is it is like it is like an emotional magic trick, uh, E.T. It works all the time. I love it. I yeah. think it's one of the best movies ever made, and I might watch it tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of those that I'm always like, eh, it's pretty good. And then I think for 10 seconds about it, I'm like, oh, actually, no, it's kind of a masterpiece, huh? Yeah, I have. I don't have a ton of memories of watching things with my entire family on TV. But I remember mm. it was like Christmas or Thanksgiving, and they did this bizarre thing like Sears paid for like a 20 minute commercial to air E.T. for the first time on television without commercials. So you had mm -hmm. to watch this like 20 minute commercial and like, no, we're going to air it all the way through uncut. And that meant they were we will pay the FCC fines when <laughs> <laughs> Michael says hell shit. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm sitting next to my grandparents, my sister, my parents, and we're all watching E.T., as a fucking event because it's the first time it's ever been on television yeah. and uh and we get to hear a curse word from my grandma that was great <laughs> and the only sequel we have ever got into this film ride. is the universal studios ride which is the only opening day universal studio attraction that is still around wow yeah. i thought you were gonna say it's the video game oh yeah no, no. i mean from highs to lows baby yeah yeah it they did find the truth to the rumor that it was buried in a desert landfill that actually happened uh it crashed the video game market because they produced more atari games than there were ataris because they thought this game would sell ataris yeah. uh but yeah that ain't good but the universal ride is still good i took my kids on it about four years ago uh, they were charmed. You get a ride, a bicycle, and E.T. says your name in a 1990 computer voice. Mm. <laughs> well, great I mean, this, yeah, the, the, the Halloween special. There's just this robot E.T. He's like, goodbye, scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> Could you type in your name for him to say yeah. when you're waiting in the queue? Yeah, but it blocks you from saying anything naughty. I know. I remember the yeah, funniest thing that ever happened to me. My sister got too scared to go on any more universal rides. So I had to go on alone with my grandfather and it was AT&T was the ride sponsor and they gave you an AT&T card and they asked, what's your name? My like, Chris and grandfather's like, my granddaughter is too scared to go, but I want her to have this Lauren. <laughs> and 
And then at the end of the ride, E.T. says, bye, Chris. Bye, Lord. I'm like, he got you. I couldn't. I laughed for like 20 fucking minutes, and I have no idea why now. But E.T. calling my grandfather my sister's mm. name. But uh, speaking of special effects, though, this movie uh, live or, lives or dies on this puppet. I, I don't know how it holds up so well. I, it's it's partially the enormous eyes, like yeah. all that work that went into the eyes. But then uh, I love having, I have a 4K copy of it and a bigger screen than I've ever had any other time in my life. Because I don't know that I've ever, I, yeah, I've seen it on the big screen. But um, every part of E.T. moves, you can see his the side of his mouth twitch his nose go up uh mm-hmm. you can see him breathing you believe this is a real puppet a real living creature almost the entire time uh it's only certain sequences where um you can't get a puppeteer's hand in there and it gets animatronic then you can sort of tell but it's still a flawless film flawless film yeah et et forever and then Grease 2 came out on the same day. <laughs> <laughs> Which some people really like. Uh, I, I don't understand why, except that the main character is Michelle Pfeiffer. She's basically in the John Travolta role. So she's like really cool and really hot. But Grease, the original, was field tested for a long time on stage before it even went to Broadway. Mm-hmm. So they knew which songs worked and which ones didn't. And they could move them around and they could change stuff. This is written directly for the screen, and um, the songs are awful. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. It's it's uh, pretty bad. It's and pretty bad. We're still in June, so remember, Poltergeist, Star Trek II, E.T., and then June 25th, same month. Oof. Holy This F. day. This fucking day. What was going on? In a city of 106 million people. You ever see this girl, huh? Never seen What I didn't know was they were looking for me. Oh, Decker, ladies and gentlemen, Blade Runner. Okay, so it's a city of 109 million people, and it's Los Angeles in 2019. Mm-hmm. So they were expecting Los Angeles to get around two million immigrants each year for the next 45 years. Or okay. or replicants or replicants. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's true. Do they count in the for congressional they're representation? They're supposed yeah. to die every six years anyway. Uh, and, uh, I like. I wish I could extol the virtues of Blade Runner. I recognize it as a wonderful feat of practical effects and setting and tone. I just I have never found the movie very interesting and pretty slow. But it is definitely gorgeous. slow. It is slow. It's based on Philip K. Dick stories. How well do you take Dick? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, do androids dream of electric penises? And but uh, and I love. But seriously, do you ever enjoy a Philip K. Dick? Stole the name of the movie from another screenplay about people who sell knives. Yeah, that, it means nothing. It has it no nothing. context in the film. It's it's a dope name, Blade Runner, but right. it has nothing to do with the film at all. But seriously, do you have any affinity for Philip K? Uh, yeah. No, never read him. Okay, I've read him. I love his stories. Uh, I love movies based on his stories. I've read documentary. I've watched documentaries on him. Um, and... This is right up my alley if you re- watch the right version because it's not an action film. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not 
even that big of a mystery. It's a meditation on the nature of reality, which is Philip K. Dick's big yeah. thing. That's what he's all about. He was literally insane in that he didn't believe that the reality you and I experience is real. Mm -hmm. And his work is constantly questioning that. And it's some fascinating readings and some fascinating uh, films based upon it. But you've got to go in with the right mindset. You can't go in expecting Wrath of Khan because that's not what this film is going to be. I, I, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I, but I'm saying that in the context Everything everyone says about Blade Runner, that's how I felt in Blade Runner 2049. So obviously I've seen Blade Runner several times. I own that final cut five disc edition. I've watched it a bunch. I just always fall asleep. It, I, I always fall asleep. I don't internally love it. And then 2049, like I just felt the way everyone describes seeing Blade Runner for the first time in 19, summer of 82. Mm. I thought it was great. Yeah, um, I really like 2049 as well. But it's... Yeah, it that it is scene at the end of twenty forty nine where the uh, fake girlfriend advertisement says the things she had been saying. Mm. Oh, that's just heartbreaking. Mm. So just stunningly beautiful movie, but it, and that it's consistent with the original Blade Runner from eighty two, mm -hmm. which looks like nothing else. Like the the setting, the this ships, the building. Yes. Yeah, I mean visually, visually, this created a style that is. In I would say sixty percent of video games released at any given moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, by yeah. The look of Blade Runner. When we were talking about uh, the post-apocalyptic future that was given to us by Mad Max, this is the non-post-apocalyptic right. future. Like other than Back to the Future Two, every film set in the future you've seen for the near future, not the far, far off future, owes some debt to Blade Runner because this is totally the aesthetic, the cyberpunk, the city, trench coats, neons. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. is the image the, of the, the movie that is still the, the default 40 years later. Yeah, the polyglot, a lot of Asian influence, but it's also... Television advertisements on buildings. Yeah. Like that didn't actually become a reality for years. Yeah, yep. I, I still look at some of those advertisements on Times Square where they tried to do the 3D thing, and I yep. feel like, okay, I'm living in Blade Runner now. Yep. Yeah. They're going to tell me to go to the off-world colonies any second. And, that, and that's yeah. why I was so excited to do this show, because like like I said, Blade Runner's not my favorite movie, but you cannot deny its influence. It is mm -hmm. one of the most influential no. sci-fi works uh, ever put on the screen. And, and yeah. I, I appreciate it. I just, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I can't get a comfort watch out of Blade Runner, but I know a lot of people can't. Um, but I, okay. ugh, depending on which version you're watching, but Blade Runner, ladies and gentlemen, also out that same day, Megaforce. <laughs> what is Megaforce? Uh, Megaforce, the bulldozer truck dystopian future movie. Monty oh. Python live at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, uh, Monty Python's getting more R rated. We hadn't had yeah, that really. Yeah. Never was, heard Sit on My Face before. That's the thing. Uh, uh, people are Americans, especially, are discovering Monty Python through reruns mm -hmm. and PBS baby. <laughs> yeah. And what, how do we capitalize on this? Well, we're not going to make a new show. We'll come to the Hollywood bowl. And it's, a, it's an odd choice for a summer movie, but here it is. And then the last major release, in my opinion, the of same June day 
as Blade Runner, Blade Runner, one of the most yeah. influential sci-fi movies of all time. Twelve men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live. Inside. Where no one can see it. Or hear it. Or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. Ooh. One of the... Uh, one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion. The scariest special effects of the entire 20th century. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna throw down that gauntlet. I cannot think of a 20th century film with scarier special effects than this film. Yeah, Rob yeah. Boutine really killing it with just grotesque spilling innards and. Wrongness. The sense of wrongness when you yeah. see these creatures. It's like, no, you should not exist even on the screen. Uh, it's like, it's yeah. like if God was a child who took his took us as humans and melted us in a microwave. Like it's just it's <laughs> fucking grotesque. And, and yeah. I, I love that there's I think a, a new line of action figures coming out based on a lot of it. Oh, like, Jesus. Yeah, oh, I'll, I'll make sure to get one of those and put it on my desk at work. That'll sure to uh, get me a promotion yeah, and not there, a letter from HR. There are a couple classic horror movies that I've seen four or five times each. I know where the scares are. I know what's mm. going to happen. I know, you know, what's who's going to die and who's this an alien. I I'm still terrified when I matter. watch it. It I know does the not blood's going to leap out at this point, and it still gets me every time. Gets me uh, every time. And I love that this is how you do a remake right, bitches. Yeah, man. John, yeah. John Carpenter is on a hot streak um, following Halloween. I think The Fog uh, goes to work at Universal where they've been trying to get this the thing from outer space remake off the ground since like the fucking 70s. And uh, they finally get it done. Rob Boutine on special effects starring Kurt Russell Keith. God damn, David in another John Carpenter movie and, and just the, man, the most perfectly paced, tense horror film that also rewards you with wonderful visual effects set in Antarctica. I think it's actually Alaska. Mm. But, uh, but so, yeah, here's, yeah. Here's my question. Have you guys done uh, CPR training or first aid stuff? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Did they, they train you on the AED, the, uh, the little portable shock panel thing because mm -hmm. uh i've been trained on that and also i've been trained on the actual paddles okay and let me tell you i am terrified of the actual paddles <laughs> because of this movie they mm. gave me the paddles they charge up the thing they have a dummy in front of you and they're like <laughs> and i'm like i'm not putting my arms down onto that dummy because it's gonna bite my hands off <laughs> i am so traumatized uh see uh diane and i were having a conversation off mic about alien i was thinking that my 12 year old is probably going to be old enough this halloween uh, to watch it and then i thought when would they be old enough to watch the thing 18 18 <laughs> uh, right before you graduate high school sure then we can watch the thing I, i'll have to ask sam i think you told the story in a podcast but like you said one of his scary moments as a parent he was watching aliens and he thought his kid was in bed and he's just enjoying himself and then he just hears a massive scream the kid is just <laughs> looking at the tv and screaming his fucking head off and and like couldn't stop thinking about it forever he felt so bad uh but yeah I, I, aliens i don't know the thing i showed this to my 
72-year-old father for the he'd never seen it before last year. Yeah. And he, he just got him like, why the fuck haven't I heard of that? What the hell? Yep. It bombed people. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. The thing was a bomb, and it took a decade or more for it to reach the classic status that it has now. I mean, you... If you're a horror fan, you've watched The Thing. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't true in 1982. It kind of bombed. Yeah. And I think it was too different. You know, it was such a departure. It's two weeks after E.T. Like, like, there were critics who described it like, we just fell in love with E.T. I don't want to see a mean alien. (laughs) Like, (laughs) seriously. And and, and, uh, there's also, I was There you go. This is this. A secret sequel to E.T. After he left, he crash landed in Antarctica and had a uh, his next stage. The E.T. stage is the larva stage. And the thing <laughs> is no, its next. No, no. <laughs> in, uh, I also believe I read, and this this is probably more of a motivating factor than anything. Um, there was a pretty sizable, scary recession going on. Mm. So yep. you see movies like Blade Runner that are dour and depressing don't do as well as movies like E.T. and Wrath of Khan, which make people feel... The feel-good movies are the ones that perform better um, because the attitudes of that era... People were down the dumps and needed to be cheered up. Uh, basically is what I'm saying. But the yeah. thing is... The, the is thing is not a happy-go-lucky movie with no. a song in its heart yeah. <laughs> by the end. That is a goddamn great ending, though. Yeah. And I, oh, I, the ending... We, we have to talk about the ending. Do you guys have thoughts on uh, if the alien was in the other guy, not Kurt Russell or not? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, 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 no. I do. I do. Yeah. What? He's not swearing. I think it was in him. Yeah. I think the other guy was 100% an alien at that point. It's all right. David. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he what? said that, yeah, that's how... <laughs> he he thinks it goes that way, but yeah. That, what's oh man, that's what's hilarious. But it I've, kind of I, like it's fun that it, let's pretend maybe neither of them have the alien. It could be. Yeah, and, it could be. And it's, it's just not hundred percent guaranteed. Uh, the ambiguity is there on purpose. Paranoia is there to drive them insane. Yeah, because uh, the whole movie is about Car- paranoia. John Carpenter has become kind of cantankerous um, in his late age and i i picked up the 4k blu-ray of this and was watching the special features which are all like an additional 10 years old and john carpenter is so flippant and doesn't give a shit i've never seen someone just chain smoke through his like his fucking interview (laughs) yeah that's uh, we had had to get that shot pretty quickly but you know it all worked out like just smoking all throughout his interview i don't think you're allowed to smoke in a promotional interview anymore (laughs) no it comes with a warning um i just saw that there's a warning now on uh star wars a new hope contain smoking yeah i hadn't thought of it but no you're right there is smoking. i believe the only major decree they made when they bought star wars when they were doing comics they're just like nobody smokes period never again they're not we're not going to cut it out of the movie but like no more smoking. Yep. I wonder if they have to put in a warning about drug use in episode two because of the death sticks. <laughs> I think it was cautionary in and of itself. Yeah. The demise of Evan Slees Bagano or whatever his name is. Um, uh, we got to move on to July. I didn't realize that we were taking so much time. Do you want to take a break is... and save stuff or no? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. All right. How long have we been? Yeah. An hour, hour and a half. half.
that's a lot of great movies. We're only halfway through the summer. <laughs> Uh, once again, moving into July, once again, it's worth pointing out in this, in this specific portion, where's Disney? Uh, if you looked at, I, I think last year, seven out of the 10 of the highest grossing movies were Disney's and very technically the other one was Spider-Man. So that's yeah. also weirdly technically Disney. Uh, where's Disney in the greatest movie year of, of, of all 1982? It's dying. Disney is on life support at this point. It is being kept alive by its theme parks. parks, And there is open talk that maybe we should just stop making movies. Yes. We've got movies that we can release every five years. We're done. And and I I guess what the most recent one was Fox and the Hound a year before. It was. And uh, the people who walked off that project, um, (laughs) (laughs) that, that was very troubled have their first movie out. And uh, this is exciting for me as an animation fan, because animation is typically so time-consuming and expensive. Only a company as rich as Disney could participate until we get to that portion where we started 30, 2010, where, like, basically greeting card companies, merchandise people like the My Little Ponies and Care Bears can make their own awful cartoon movies very quickly because it's only meant to push merchandise. The Disney process takes a while, but it... uh, the, the, the company sort of in shambles. There was talk of like not being a shooting studio anymore. We should also say, I think this year, 1982 re-release of Bambi and Peter Pan. So you have Disney, like you have 50 year old Disney movies making millions of dollars anyway in theaters. Yeah, From a pure business standpoint, you can see that. Why would I want to take a risk making new things mm-hmm. when the things we already own, we've already produced, we can just re-release them every five years and, be guaranteed a decent chunk of change every five years. You read about their history, like it was close. They were almost close to making that decision. We know now that's stupid. Something about the Disney legacy with the glut of entertainment we have doesn't really work anymore. You can't make your money off of fucking Bambi for the rest of your life. It's just going to be an ancillary budget. Uh, But Disney was struggling as a movie studio and an animation studio, and notably Don Bluth, uh, Gary Goldman, and a bunch of other people left. They had Banjo the Woodpile Cat, but July 2nd is the debut of its first animated feature. Discover the secret of him and rediscover the child in us all. Uh, few things are more pleasant and disturbing than the secret of Nim. Yeah, but- I this is one I remembered from my childhood and rewatched like a couple of years ago mm-hmm. in like my late 30s and was like Oh yeah, I was right to be scared of this. This is a a dark movie, like literally dark, thematically dark. Uh, that owl is scary as hell, but yeah, turns out oh he's okay. And all, all your heroes are abused, <laughs> imprisoned uh, animals. But and, it's and like I, exciting though. It's I I, the, I think that's the action that was, and adventure. I think that was part of Don Bluth's recipe the things, the darker aspects that Disney would kind of weed out over the process of be- breaking a story for two years, even public domain fairy tales would lose lose their teeth a bit. Um, Ariel's going to survive in a few years, even though that's not how the story goes. Ariel dies. Yeah. Uh, but Don Bluth didn't really shy away from that, and there's there's something hypnotic and dreamlike, even to shit like Rockadoodle, which I championed, <laughs> how lavish and disturbing the, the that animation style is and i it, it's the first ever 
worthy competitor to Disney. We uh, in the beginning of the show, I played that was what Warner Brothers was contributing to animation, repackaging Bugs Bunny cartoons with cheap filler. <laughs> And uh, this is the first competition Disney ever has. And the next movie Don Bluth makes will beat Disney that year at the box office. Secret of Nim didn't fare that well, because, mostly because of E.T. The audience, mm. Secret of Nim was hoping would buoy it, was all going to see E.T. at this point. And, uh, but I, Secret of Nim, I, I believe, if you're like me, huge life on cable, home video, eventually found its legs. And... Don Bluth had have quite a run for a little while, right out, right into Rockadoodle. <laughs> but but through All Dogs Go to Heaven, Land Before Time, uh, American Tale, I think those movies are amazing. And because they're not part of the Disney Disney machine, they didn't get re-released and reintroduced to new generations as well as Disney movies that did. But they should. They belong there. And Secret of Nim is a bona fide classic. It was one of the first movies. It made me want to do Monday Night Movies because I... I fucking crazy with when we were all really crazy about twitter and tweet and everything i'm like i'm gonna watch secret of nim on netflix who wants to join me at 8 p.m and we live like me and a bunch of listeners like dozens of us live tweeted a screening of nim it was awesome it was awesome um and so where's but that's not disney where's disney this is the (laughs) one the one disney movie well the one disney proper movie released this year and it might not be the one you expect the computer an extension of the human intellect the ncom 511 center of the most calculating intelligence on earth programmed by master control to survive by millions soon the ultimate tool Will become the ultimate enemy. Sorry, I just thought the trailer was cool as hell. I'd never seen it before. Who is it? Cut. The Terminator? No, it's the Tron. Wow. Tron. <laughs> yeah. This was Whoa. a punchline for decades. Yeah. Um, it's so goofy. It has definitely grown on me, but back in the day, it was like, oh my God, it's like so 70s and gross. It is very, it is very serious. Mm. <laughs> it's very serious while it's being silly. I think it's, it's absolutely wonderful, but it's just this odd investment from Disney. Like our animated movies are costing so much more. We need to do something innovative. Let's make it a, a movie entirely with animated, entirely with a computer. So it takes the wind out of Star Trek's milestone. That is the first CG scene. But Tron is a movie of many CG scenes, many, many, many CG scenes that I still think hold up pretty well, despite being so rudimentary. Because it's interesting, you know, it's so stylized. If it was trying to be realistic, it would look like hot garbage. But because it's actively trying to look like a computer program. It still works because it's supposed to be that stylized look. Yeah, something about the uh, the same authenticity Mad Max 2 gives to the post-apocalypse inside of cyberspace still works. It still works. It's probably blue in there. It will travel on a grid. <laughs> but just fantastic sequences. Uh, I believe it's the has one of the longest sequel gaps in history because this yeah. was a, a slow burn. And, and I, I love this movie. Because, you know, I have a big background in my childhood and professionally in video games. And in terms of representation, 
video games weren't represented at all in movies. No. Before, it was like once a decade. You get the wizard in Tron, and that is kind of it for the 80s, wow. despite this being a huge medium. I am really uh, shocked. Next year, we have the really gross uh, joysticks. <laughs> Another sex comedy. Oh, yeah. no. I am really shocked that between Tron and Blade Runner coming out less than a month apart, a couple weeks mm -hmm. apart, that, yeah, we do have the birth of cyberpunk two years before Neuromancer, the book, is released. Yeah. Which is generally considered that's the birth of cyberpunk yeah you combine them both you get a really good vision of of cyberpunk and i've i'll always profess my love for tron and sometimes i wonder if that's more its motif just the mm -hmm. way it looks because every time someone asks me is like tron is it any good and like <laughs> it's, no, it's, awesome. not. it's not good it's, not, it's but awesome it's, but it's i never different. said it's good it's different it's different and yeah definitely you, different for Disney. Yeah, and uh, like this this created kind of an uproar among the Disney animators who were already struggling to, to get product out. We have people abandoning us and starting new companies to rival us and you're going to invest in computer animation? Are you crazy? Whose idea with it? And that to me is the funniest. If you have ever seen the animated movie Animal Olympics, it, it aired on NBC. No, you bring in it up all with the time. The, with that... Those guys were not Disney guys. They made an animated movie with Billy Crystal and Gilda Radner about otters and alligators playing the Olympics and then moved into Tron, like having no, <laughs> no, no knowledge of this technology, but just they had the idea and, and Disney went for it. And the fellow Disney animators hated it. They wanted it. They wanted it to fail and celebrated its failure. But uh, no company other than Nintendo celebrates its failures like Disney and I think because gamers didn't have any movie to really latch onto, Tron was there for you. So uh, Tron slowly became very popular. And anytime Disney released any piece of merchandise, Tron merchandise, it snatched up. If I went, uh, went over to Japan before Tron Legacy came out, Tron is well represented in merchandise. Like people, it was in Kingdom Hearts too, <laughs> a whole Tron level. But like, uh, I mean, they made a sequel because it has its niche. It has its niche of people who cared about this film. I mean, it came at a unique time, came at pretty much the height of the arcade craze. It I mean, in the, Tron, the, the video of, game, the dawn made of more computers heading into people's houses. That wasn't happening yet. So yep. I think if, if that was happening, the movie might have been received a little differently because there's a lot of terms thrown around program, master control <laughs> that you would instinctually understand growing up with a pc but no, that really wasn't happening at all nobody had a computer i remember when I'm, I'm five or six i go into school there is one computer and it's wheeled around a classroom that is all <laughs> the entire school could afford yeah but yeah, yeah tron tron uh oh, what a great what a great legacy semi-terrible movie with some wonderful scenes and uh, and yeah, like also yeah, it's like it, it brought out two arcade games that were pretty popular. Arcade One Up just re-released a seven hundred dollar recreation of those Tron arcade games. The Tron arcade game made more money than the Tron movie, Not which yet. is that's hilarious. kind of amazing. <laughs> that is hilarious, but that's that, that is Disney represented in the greatest cinematic year ever in Tron, a massive money loser at the time and a pretty significant failure odd we talked about your 302010 listener tron uprising just celebrated its 10-year anniversary and that is the last piece of tron content 
uh, Disney has ever produced outside of two amazing roller coasters that are being <laughs> one is almost done in Disney World and one in Shanghai Disney. Um, Got to mention this for JR. <clears throat> Re-releases. Raiders of the Lost Ark is re-released <laughs> a week after Tron. It's been one a year. year later. Yeah. I mean, this was a thing. I mean, this is the pre-VHS world for the most yeah. part. And you could have a movie that came out a year ago get re-released because it's like, remember that awesome movie? I, I got to wonder if Spielberg had a problem with that. Like, I released my new movie a month ago. <laughs> This is a I checked. It's a wide release. It's going to like every town, every theater. Raiders of the Lost Ark to compete with his own movie from a different studio. I guess maybe you think of ET as being prom promoting the Raiders re-release. Like, what was maybe. that guy's last movie? I love that one too. I can't watch it at home because a lot of people don't have VHS yet. And that's why I, George Lucas made the point of uh, gone with the not even no home video movies weren't there was no TV to show movies on. Yeah. really so like this movie played on and off in theaters for 20 years widely so that's why it will always outgross anything that's out in theaters for what is it now four weeks six weeks <laughs> before it hits the streaming service yeah and uh and then a movie the one movie here i have not seen oh um but it it, it becomes one of the highest grossing movies of the year along partner y'all come back now you hear Best little whorehouse in Texas <laughs> this week. Such an amazing title. Yeah. A title they're like almost too afraid to say in the trailer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'd uh, think they would go with like best little cat house maybe or. They call it a chicken ranch. Yeah, well, song. it's called the chicken ranch in the movie. Oh, okay. You know, that's that's its formal name, but everyone knows what it is. Yeah. It's it is where we have so many musicals still hanging on because the musical died generally in the seventies and that we get a couple here between you know Annie Victor Victoria and, and Best Little Whorehouse. Best Little Whorehouse is just so much fun. It's, it is it is it's ninth very, above Amy for highest grossing movie of nineteen eighty two. You know, it's it's really pegged on Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds who have yeah. great chemistry. You also got like Charles Durning in there and um dumb deloise and like you know it's it's very silly it's um what's the episode of the simpsons where they oh, oh we put the spring oh, in springfield it's yeah, that yeah that's it's the, that's the idea it's, i, it's I always thing. wondered that because i always felt like that was a pretty nutty idea even for the simpsons to do a whole episode about a whorehouse how do you make this safe for television like oh Dolly Parton paved that road back in 1982. Yep. And, and man. Uh, it, it generally holds up. <clears throat> I, I only, I re I watched it uh, like a couple years ago and I did notice um, black folks tend to stay with black folks at the cat house and white mm -hmm. folks tend to stay with white folks. There's a little bit of that dynamic, which never, ever comes up. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of accepted. Texas. It's, Texas and yeah. you know like a whole football team goes to the to the chicken ranch and you know that is just unspoken but it's visually there and you're like well at least there are black people at all <laughs> that's nice but oh Dolly's so adorable she's just so much fun yeah I, I mean I, I I would imagine if anybody but Dolly Parton and possibly Burt Reynolds were in this nobody would have seen it no mm -hmm. I, I I think it's one of those 
movies where you absolutely need these specific stars. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking yeah. about like I'm I live in the south and occasionally go to Cracker Barrel. If you're going to make a musical and you want me to show up to it, Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds will win the Cracker Barrel audience over yeah. one billion percent. Yeah, and yeah. They're, they're a lot of fun. They have really good chemistry. We also have uh, World According to Garp. Oh one boy. Better Robin Williams movies. It's a it's a strange, strange movie though. I I've, mm -hmm. I've heard people who love the book feel like the movie backs up a little bit, which is mm -hmm. weird because the movie has a lot of stuff that was weird for 1982. I mean, the, the guy's getting cheated on by his wife. There's a, a transsexual woman played by John Lithgow. Uh, <laughs> there's you know a weird semi-feminist, possibly lesbian political group that like cuts their tongues out like there's all kinds of weird shit going yeah, on opens and closes with a Beatles song which is something that still mm. kind of doesn't happen because <laughs> it's too expensive yeah there, so like around the edges there's an awful lot of weirdness but generally it's you know just kind of a, a sweet movie about uh yeah robin williams's character and growing up in this odd environment and trying to find love and get together and stuff it's kind of funny because, I mean, it's an early dramatic-ish role from him. It's a dramedy. But it is funny. <laughs> like, he's clearly had to shave his whole body. <laughs> yeah. It, well, that's because the, you know how hairy he is or you've seen him anywhere else. Rewatching it after he died, you can kind of, maybe this is my own headcanon, you can kind of impress on it. This is a Robin Williams biopic just because it tells the story of a young man into adulthood mm. played by the same person the entire time making robin williams jokes yeah um, oh it's i it, it's a pretty sweet it's a sweet yeah. little movie but yeah it does have weird <laughs> weird stuff around the edges but yeah. again if you want super problematic you have scott bayo zapped <laughs> uh what if i was given superpowers and i could use them to be a sexual creep yeah, yeah. you could do Not anything gonna... you're just gonna make girls clothes fall off not okay. gonna pretend i didn't have those thoughts as a little young boy but I didn't make a movie out of it. That's for sure. <laughs> I remember and, seeing it air on network television at one point. Yeah, it has to be. I think they had to film additional scenes. I was like, "What? It's the movie about guys who makes all their clothes fall off, and you can see everything." This <laughs> whole fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, another movie I have seen um, that will end up grossing way more than you think, and I only recognize from a Wayne's World two reference. My grandmama wants to fly jets. No, man, you ain't nothing special. And if you ask me, you ain't got no chance of being no officer. I ain't gonna quit. You're out. Don't you do that. Don't you. I got nowhere else to go. Richard Gere, Deborah Winger, an officer and a gentleman. I, too, so will be an officer and a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> titular line bitch ah uh, this is kind of a it's kind of it's an adult film but it kind of has something for everyone in that like it has drama and it has romance mm -hmm. uh i love that um what's it called you must remember this is doing a, a series about like erotic films of the 80s i was dying to talk to you about that i'm loving it keep I'm going loving it. because I, I i have made fun of richard gear on 30 2010 with you like it feels like he's a movie star in a parallel universe. Like I know who he is, but like, I don't <laughs> like any of his movies. And you must remember this is sort of frame. He was kind of the, for women, like yeah. women. Yeah. Like Sharon Stone for women. 
Yeah, he he was in erotic thrillers and, and love stories, and Richard Gere is a movie star pushed de- toward the female demographic, and therefore he like he barely came across my gaze. Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, he's a guy who'd make sexy films. He'd get naked. He did full frontal nudity in American Gigolo, you know, where mm-hmm. he's obviously the the object of desire, is the the titular character. And yeah, Officer and Gentleman, because it's it's a little bit, it's kind of Top Gun. Mm-hmm. It's actually Top Gun kind of rips it off now that I think about it, but it's kind of Top Gun. It's kind of a boot camp sort of movie of him like joining the Navy and trying to get his shit together. And Luke Gossett Jr. is the drill sergeant who's riding him like crazy and he's trying to pull his life together, but he's also like falling in love with Deborah Winger. And but is it love or are they just, you know, having a good time? And but then it does blossom into love. And it's, yeah, it's kind of like I said, something for everybody. But with an awful lot of sex in it. If Top Gun had way more sex. And uh, is that the, is it, it has a scene that I also only know from The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm going to make love to my wife and I <laughs> won't be back for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got the song, you know, Love Lift Us Up Where We Belong. It's a huge ah, hit. Which has lasted forever. Yeah. It's one of those movie songs that just far outlast the movie i think mm-hmm. you will still occasionally hear it at weddings oh yeah definitely 100 percent. and just to put this is the third highest grossing movie of the year so wow. you could consider this maybe successful counter programming to all the genre stuff out there the serious adults got their movie i'm just i just i'm looking at these box office numbers and i'm trying not to like have my head boil over this movie costs six million dollars makes 200 million Whoa. That was something that could happen in the past. You know, drama right. films don't cost as much as big budget action films. And it used to be they could break out into a wide audience. Domestically, 200, just exponentially, like, again, not to go back to Avengers Endgame, uh, the, the latest era's highest grossing movie. That movie, they estimate, cost somewhere between two and 300 million. Mm. It made $2 billion and like, Officer and Gentleman was so much more profitable than anything. <laughs> <laughs> ET well, cost ten million dollars. Adjusted for inflation, ET made two billion dollars. So I'm going to quickly read the top domestic uh, grosses from 2019: Avengers: Endgame, The Lion King, Toy Story 4, Frozen 2, Captain Marvel, Star Wars Episode 9, Spider-Man: Far From Home, Aladdin, Joker, It Chapter 2. All of those films cost over a hundred million dollars to make. Yeah. You know, and all of those are genre films. There is not a single drama film in that entire list. Mm -mm. Nope. There's no dramedy. There's no drama. There's There's no no comedy. comedy. There's, yeah. Yeah, there's no tootsie in there. High spectacle films. I I should say, I didn't, before I know, I don't say it. Porky's is the fifth highest grossing movie of the year. I'm judging you, 1982. Yeah. I'll, uh yes but yeah uh officer and a gentleman july 30th fourth cheech and sean movie <laughs> things are tough all over <laughs> august 6th pink floyd the wall yeah i i felt like both those movies were way older I, they seemed like 70s holdovers but mm-hmm. the wall is pretty amazing uh, i mean 1982 you know it's bleeding the 70s is dead but it's still twitching a little so you still get a bit of that vibe going down but the, the, I, I just, is there any equivalent to what Pink Floyd the Wall is today? Like, no, no, no. I mean, there's well, concert films. If you want music on film, you get, you know, a concert film. You don't get, 
a, a narrative experience. Yeah. You don't get a quadrophenia. I don't, I don't know yeah. that this is maybe, maybe lemonade. Uh, no. Lemonade yeah. might qualify uh, Beyonce's lemonade, but like, yeah, Pink Floyd, the wall uh, band. I, they're fine. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. don't care to hear any of the radio songs again, but the movie is fantastic with a great animated sequence. And then on the 13th of August, I believe in limited release, but like really catches on like wildfire. That was my skull. I'm so wasted. See Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Fast Times at Ridgemont High is released upon the public. And I feel like it was supposed to be Porky's. Yeah, (laughs) it should have been. They well, wanted to make something like Porky's. They wanted a teen sex comedy. And instead they got one of the best f- funny but also serious teen movies ever fucking made. I've yeah. thrown out the question to people. What is the most realistic depiction of teenagers on film? Mm-hmm. And Fast Times at Ridgemont High is part of that conversation. Yes. Even though I've never met anybody with the accent like Damone. You gotta treat her right, man. What <laughs> decade are you from, sir? But you, but you got it, it. All these young stars basically become much larger movie stars, including Sean Penn, Nicolas Cage's first movie. I think it's Anthony Edwards' first movie. Forrest uh, Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker's first movie. Judge Reinhold becomes a household name. Because yeah, Judge Reinhold, Phoebe Cates, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, it's it's all it's all ringers. It's ridiculous. And uh, it's the rise of uh, Cameron Crowe. Cameron Crowe. I don't know why he. You can see his story. It's uh, sort of his story, almost famous. That's it's semi autobiographical. But he, when he's a little older than that fifteen year old, he goes undercover in a high school to write a book about high schoolers, and they adapt that. He adapts his own book into screenplay, and it's Amy Heckerling, right? Yeah. Amy Heckerling, clueless director. Look who's talking. Uh, yeah. And uh, making her. What, what do you think? Director. Can I still pass for a high school student? Just Hell go yeah. undercover and. Uh, yeah, that's a look. You might explore what it's like. You're gonna need a, a big floppy beaver wig, I think. There you go. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this is a movie that like the funny highs are really high and often very naughty. Um, mm-hmm. Judge Reinhold in the bathroom with the dream about Phoebe Cates opening up her bikini, and. <laughs> And the drama, the drama highs are really high too. It's, it takes, you know, abortion pretty seriously, but not in a contemmy or judgy way. And also the teen sexuality of like, everyone's doing it, but also we're judging people for doing it, but I don't know what I'm doing. So I guess I might as well do this. And, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Who wouldn't have dug out? Demands the uh, worst. Um, I, I said earlier, most of the 1982 films that are in the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress are a bit documentary and short subjecty, but also the big ones like uh, E.T. and Blade Runner, but also this. Nice. On high, nice. In the National Film Registry. Yeah, like, it, it was recognized as an important film about and for young people. Yeah, it is weird that, you know, it's 40 years old and no one's got cell phones and no one's got the internet, but it's like you can still relate a lot to it and if you can't you will always be able to relate to spicoli because everybody has mm-hmm. met a Sp- jeff spicoli in their life and a mr hand and those scenes are 
fantastic, goofy fucking comedy. Everyone's got like that stoner dude who just likes pull weird pranks and the teacher who is having none of it. Enough time. <laughs> yeah, teacher showing up at a student's house being like, well, you wasted my time, so I'm going to waste yours now. We're just going to sit here and I'm going to read to you from the history book <laughs> until you're ready. to. Oh, you want to go to prom? Oh, you were about to leave for prom. Okay, well, I'm going to waste your time some more. Like, that shit's so fucking funny. And, oh, and having a f shitty first job in a service industry. and Like, oh, yeah, that still applies. Man, I, yeah, my first job was at Wendy's and McDonald's. And at that point, they still had, like, old-timey 50s-looking clothes. Like, you looked like you are from a barbershop quartet. It was like, oh, I hated having to wear it so fucking much. No, no tennis shoes at Wendy's. Like, nobody's going to see my fucking feet. <laughs> what, what, why can't what, I be comfortable? What the fuck kind of shoes are you supposed to wear? Uh, like, nice dress shoes, and, and they have to be polished. What, you can so wear you have, Oxfords to <laughs> behind the Are they women in heels? Work, so they get covered in mud, oh. and I get folded at McDonald's for having my shoes too dirty. It's fucking awful. God Yeah, yeah. Fast times. It's it's one of those I always think it's not going to hold up, and then I watch it, I'm like, fuck. Yeah, I yeah. think that held up great. August 13th, same day. <laughs> same day as Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Ooh, another good movie about teenagers. <laughs> Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Oh, what to say about Friday the 13th? Part three. This is the birth of Jason. Pretty much. This is, when you think of Jason, what Jason is. Because in one, Jason's just a moldy, dead boy at the bottom of a lake. Yeah, dressed like a hick. Yeah. Uh, in you two, can knock him down and kill him. In two, he's wearing a flower sack and hick outfit. Mm -hmm. And three is when we get hockey mask Jason, which will be in every video game till the end of time i yep. mean the the hockey mask killer appeared in so many video games from the 1980s and it's because of this film yeah i think they trademarked the exact exact jason mask but it doesn't matter anybody can make that mask and put it in anything they want uh yeah I, I, this movie is the first or third one i saw and i saw it on vhs and like, what is going on? What is with this pornographic shot of this woman hanging up laundry? I didn't remember it was shot in 3D. And I finally got a chance to see it in 3D at the Castro Theater in a wonderful marathon with Jaws 3D and Space Hunter. Uh, it's a fantastic 3D experience. Jason squeezes a dude's head and his eyeball flies into the screen. Wonderful. And I would I would speculate here. I forget the... We did, we did a whole chronology of this, Dave, Lizzie, and I, uh, Elm Street Nightmare. Get it on Patreon.com slash Laser Time. So I'm cobbling together old information that I wrote down years ago. It's filmed in 3D, like filmed in 3D, because the other Jason movies are like filmed in New Jersey. I think they had to move this out to L.A. because in order to film in 3D, you need a very controlled set and a shitload of light. Mm. And I believe that kind of makeup putting makeup on Jason's character would have added to the budget and highlighted its flaws. Cause like the movie is lit very well. So he takes the hockey mask from the fat kid, puts it on. And I don't know if they actually intended him to keep wearing it, but it just I, cat I, on. If the movie wasn't in 3d. I don't know that he would have put it on at all, but I no, think they had not. 
And uh, yeah, I, and that's but that's what we think of Jason now. And I find that so bizarre. It took three movies to get to what we think of how Jason looks. Wow. It it just feels insane. And he's also like much stronger. He the, it's the only movie where he shoots somebody <laughs> with a harpoon gun. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, usually it's you're bludgeoned or hung. Mm-hmm. Uh, something you do with his hands. This in this I loved researching all these movies because this is a Paramount movie, Paramount, a legitimate movie studio, and they deeply resented this this film series, but it refused to stop making money, and this made more money than two. So it had to keep God, we got to make even more of these things. Jesus, this sucks. All right, the fourth one, but that's the last one. We're going to call it the final chapter, put Crispin Glover in it. And then, you know, you know what happens. <laughs> we just discussed Jason 10 on <laughs> 2010. <laughs> Friday the 13th Part 3 is out. And I'm going to skip chrono- some chronology here just so we have a good ending. Because I don't want to end with a movie of August 20th, which it, I thought this was a ripoff of the movie released in May. They were in production ahead of time. Sometimes you get Snow White movies made at the same time. Sometimes oh. you get Comet movies heading to the Earth at the same time. And it's no one plagiarizing the other person. It's just people come up with ideas. Our, our, tech, our final movie of the summer. And discover the incredible link between man, animal, and all that is phantasmagorical. In the world of Duchess dragons and dar the beast master the epic adventure of a new kind of hero oh, the beast master <laughs> oh, i hate the beast master so much i maybe have never seen this it's not good yeah it is it is not a good uh film i've seen the um, second one which is they hilariously bring beast master into modern day la uh-huh. hunted down by a policeman played by uncle phil uh, it's, it's it's hysterical this is not good you say jr i have nothing else to say no no this is one of those sword and sorcery films where you realize how amazingly good conan is it's right uh it took me so long to watch conan because like mst and beastmaster had impressed upon me these are really stupid movies with low budgets and you have to be deeply into D to give a shit and yeah that's not fair <laughs> Uh, um yeah. oh, so uh, I was gonna it say does... I have one from May that we've skipped that I can What's that? Uh, a comedy, but please talk about Beastmaster more. Well, you'll <laughs> see uh that there is a tiger on this film that is dyed a color. What? This is because the director wanted to use a leopard, uh, but was told that leopards are too skittish and hard to work with. So instead he got a tiger and dyed it. And it's never been confirmed, but they think that might have killed the tiger. Oh. <laughs> Ironic for a hero, a hero that is friends of beasts. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in the sequels, uh, that uh, particular animal does not come back. They use a different big cat. So, yeah. And I, oh, I have nowhere else to tell some of these stories. Uh, uh, my my sister's fiance... Um, and her, my sister and her fiance do work with the annual Shakespeare in the Park Festival. And they uh, they try and get uh, a celebrity every so often. And one year, they got Mark Singer, the Beastmaster, hey. be, <laughs> as their celebrity. And apparently, like, not fun to work with in the 20-teens. Like, he was not a very pleasant man. He's 
everyone we've ever got, I've never seen someone behave like an actual movie star, and it was the fucking Beastmaster. Because <laughs> you know, they just did it a, few, a week a weekend or two ago. I went and I met the celebrity, and that celebrity was Kevin McDonald of hey. Kids in the Hall, who has been back three times. There's a joke in the new Kids in the Hall show about like Kevin McDonald. He sometimes does Shakespeare with my sisters that's he's talking about performance <laughs> he just did with my sister's boyfriend of a midsummer's night dream uh i and i met i got to meet kevin mcdonald and it was the, one of the strangest meetings of my life you know i've met him before he didn't remember me um <laughs> but and like uh, uh my sister's boyfriend brings me on stage and like uh, i'm a big fan man i was watching it watching last night he's like oh thanks uh you know we have a new show coming out and like Dude, I said I was a big fan. Like, why wouldn't I know there's a new Kids in the Hall? I don't, I don't know why I got cantankerous. Like, what the fuck? I said I was a big fan. Don't you have to plug your show? Moving on, moving on from the Beastmaster. Diana, what's the comedy we missed? We missed a comedy that's kind of a fun combination of a couple different things. That it's a sex comedy, but it's a grown-up sex comedy. But it's hmm. also kind of more important for what it's going to bring after it because it's a success. Oh, yeah. We get more stuff. Night Shift from nineteen. 19- uh, okay, from yeah, uh, May, nice, 1982. Nice. Yeah, um, it's not the first movie directed by Ron Howard, but it's kind of is his previous movie, non Roger Corman, movie. Grand Theft Auto, which he he did for Roger Corman. Basically, was like, I'll star in your dumb movie if you let me direct it because I want to direct, and he did, and it's actually a lot of fun. There's a ton of car crashes in it, and so yeah, he gets to make a movie. It helps Michael Keaton, Henry Winkler. Uh, Michael Keaton, I think it might be his first like decent sized role. Shelley Long, and I didn't realize Kevin Costner and Shannon Doherty both pop up in it. <laughs> are they peers? No, Shannon Doherty's a little kid, and Kevin okay. Costner's frat boy number one. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but okay. it's written by the same guys who end up writing Splash. It it's a a big hit because it was pretty decent, small budget. You know, it makes his money back. Then some, and then he gets to make Splash, which is a massive hit. Huge oh, yeah. Hit. Helps give us Tom Hanks. It gives us Ron Howard as a director, like, forever. And gives us Disney Plus CG butt hair to hide Daryl Hannah's ass. If you yep. have not seen that, it's ludicrous. Yep. But, like yeah, it. and it's just kind of fun. It's comedy again. We don't I, get enough I, comedies. Diane, I also omitted, but I may as well bring it up just for you. On Golden Pond, I think, is sort of out in 82. Yeah, I think it's technically 81. Okay, then fuck it. Yeah. So, just, but just... well, if you want to get into fancy stuff, Fanny and Alexander, the Ingmar Bergman film, is out. And I mentioned the beginning, Fitzcarraldo at the beginning of the year, and Burden of Dreams, the making of documentary, Jesus which, Christ. God damn. So that's pretty much it. I'm just going to recap the movies we talked about this summer and then mention our final one. We got Conan the Barbarian. I'm just to the highlights here. Annie, Mad Max 2, Rocky 3, Poltergeist, Star Trek 2, Wrath of Khan, E.T., Blade Runner, The Thing, Secret of Nim, Tron, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, uh, Officer and a Gentleman, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Friday the 13th Part 3, The Beastmaster, and the final movie of the summer, Star Wars is re-released on August 13th. And then in December, Empire Strikes Back is also re-released. So as if you weren't having enough trouble spending your theater dollar in 1982, you can see Star Wars again. What did the Star Wars home videos come out in like 78? But like, I think it, it helped move v- like VHS players. But like, mm. that was, we did not have... Did you guys have a tape player at this point? Yes. 
We were the first yeah. people on our street. Hell yeah. Star fucking Star Wars comes out. A. And you know, it, it's prepping for next year, which is going to be Return of the Jedi. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. they are priming those pumps. No VHS. I don't think it's been shown on television yet. No. So, no, yeah, so. it's purely a theater experience at this point. The only place anyone has ever seen Star Wars is in oh, a theater. Not even Diana's HBO? house. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know about HBO, but uh, not only were we early adopters of uh, videotapes, but our friend was an early adopter of putting two VHS tape players together and oh, copying tapes. And that's why circa 1981, 1982, I was the only kid on my block who had Star Wars that I could watch at home. Oh, piracy was so hard back then. Beginning in September of 1982, Star Wars was shown on pay-per-view scattered throughout the country. Wow. HBO showed the film during the winter of 1983. Wow. So it took five years to see on your home screen. For pay-per-view. Yeah. And and, and, um, if you listen to Sick of Star Wars and Patreon.com slash LaserTime, incredible bootlegging community popped up because of that people sneaking camcorders it's people sneaking camcorders in are some of the only reasons we have proof of george lucas was altering these films from the beginning mm. uh, because that was the only way we had a record the the first star wars was altered like twice in its initial theatrical release and uh camcorder bootlegs are the only reason we know oh mm-hmm. star wars on patreon you can listen to uh Elm Street Nightmare with all the Jason movies on Patreon. You can hear all about the Conan the Barbarian movie on Patreon. You got we got full length movie commentaries with some of these, some of these films. Um, no, I guess I guess we don't actually. <laughs> we don't have any commentaries. We should do one. For, I wish Brett and I did one for Wrath of Khan. That would have been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, patreoncom slash time. It supports the show. We do appreciate it. And I can't thank my thirty twenty ten uh, hosts enough for coming along and doing this. I, I don't know that we wanted we were jealous that only Diana got to talk about these movies all year in her classic corner segment, but it, it's worth mentioning. That 1982 is a fl- a wonderful fluke of cinematic miracles. Yeah. Yes, because we're getting into the 80s time, which is where I actually have genuine nostalgia for some of the films that are in Wee's his classic corner that I saw in theater. We're getting close to uh, the very first film i remember seeing in theaters is return of the jedi and that's going to be on classic corner next year and that's an ouch moment for me so yeah. different feeling than when all she was talking about was films yeah. that came okay. out before oh, i was alive and and yeah oh, and, that's and, a good and, question and what is the first classic corner movie i remember seeing in the theater when it was released because re-releases yeah. don't count yeah. mm, actually i mm, i think i might know what it is yeah yeah, I, 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 I know I told the story before, and, and it, it's something that I know is not true, but I can't figure it out. I would have been two in 1982 uh, when E.T. came out. I know I saw it in the theater. Oh, wait, and I, know- I take it back. I saw E.T. in the theater twice. Yeah? Yeah, I, I remember when we saw it the second time, and I was like, it's not, you'll be okay. You know where the scary part's at. <laughs> you know he lives. It's going to be okay. Yeah. He probably saw a re-release, Chris. Right. I yeah. probably saw a re-release. And I also, and I this memory is vivid, I walked out of the theater and saw a shooting star, not unlike the end of the film. Oh. And I was terrified. <laughs> that, like, I thought this wasn't real. Um, E.T. was re-released in 1985. 
So we'd have a much better chance of remembering it from that year. I think it's, it's kind I hope my parents didn't bring me to a theater like when I'm two or less, because what the (laughs) fuck is the point of that other than ruining the show for everyone else. But yeah, these movies are so great. Like just wonderful. There's not a single one in here. I would say that I hated except for, I don't know, maybe zapped. (laughs) Maybe Porky's. Yeah. Maybe Porky's. Porky's But, uh, Cheech and Chong movies are a bit of a slog to watch. But uh, yeah, go watch something from 1982. Listen to 302010. Follow Diana on Twitter. Hit up JR on Twitter. Give out your Twitters. Come on. Get some... J-R-R-A-L-L-S on the Twitters. And I'm Listenerd. L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D. And you can follow 302010 every week. Um, I always tweet out the recommendations from everything we watched that week, plus Classic Corner at 302010podcast. Patreon.com slash laser time support us, get extra 302010 content, extra Conan the Barbarian content. Oh, oh yeah, we yeah, talked let's... to people who'd never seen Conan before. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah find out what they thought yeah. on bonus time. What they were expecting, we... what they got. All right. And then uh, let's close out with some John Williams uh, score from the ET movie. Good Lord, is it nice? Good. We will see you guys very soon. Bye.